Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date. I'm Matthew. Star Trek's edition. I, I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. I don't want it to be. I don't I, want it listen, to be. No, no. At this point, we've already done the work. I don't know. I feel like there's a little more work to do. We got some more work to do. We have... <laughs> you're right. We're probably going to spend the next three hours working pretty hard. I, I remember doing a lot of work this week and remember thinking that it wasn't over yet. And then I remember thinking that it wasn't going to be over for five more years at least. Yeah. So yeah, I had a conversation with Katie about how uh, much I hated doing this <laughs> and how long it was going to take. She thought we were doing Star Trek ones every week. And I no. said, no, no, I couldn't possibly how? handle it any more often. In fact, I would rather do every three weeks, except then we would just not finish until 2030. Yeah, I can't do that. And she she still seemed confused. And I said, well, let's say we do 25 a year. That's we still just have on another- pace. We still have another 120 to do. We do about that many per year, approximately, and that's how much they did each year. So just do the math. It's seven seasons. We're doing seven years of this garbage. Yeah, so we are looking at wrapping this up in late 2024, early 2025. I'm into it. I don't have that's, anything better to do. That's nasty. But that's I, a nasty idea. But I don't want it to go longer because I have big plans in 2025. So Yeah. Until then, I'm I'm free. I can do it. But 2025, yeah. I got some shit going on. Yes. When we started this podcast, I said my 10 year plan is to be done with this dumb idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What week is this? 52. Yeah, and it's not going to go any faster by talking about how shitty an idea it is. So, right. uh, the way this works, as always, we uh, we go from fifth to first last week, and for the last I don't know long time. That means we're getting this Voyager out of the way right up at the top. This week we watched The Q and the Gray. I'm a charger that charges through the night Like an orange bolt of lightning passing everything in sight I'm the best pal the Duke boy has ever had I'm thunder on the highway looking bad, bad, bad I'm the knight uh, that Gen- General Lee? Can you believe Johnny Cash had to do that? I mean, he did the he did the worst. That's Amore. <laughs> was that not was he not supposed to be Johnny Cash at that point in Dewey Cox? I guess I don't he remember. probably was. At one, huh? at, during part of it, he's Johnny Cash. Um, <clears throat> God, all right. Well, I'll just. Well, I mean, do, Walk Hard is clearly a Johnny Cash song. Yeah, he he flips in between some different acts, so I'm not sure if when he's doing that's Amore, if he's supposed to still be doing Johnny Cash. Oh, I guess Guilty as Charged probably is too. Yes. I'll just get into it. It's not good. I'm going to try to get through it. After uh, gathering on the bridge to witness a supernova for what seems like boredom reasons, Q shows up to get just cosmically wet with Janeway. So he can have a baby with her. When did Q watch sitcoms? Well, how does he know all the tropes? How? Why does he? Why does he have satin sheets? Oh, he saw those in Riker's quarters, I'm sure. 
uh, well, then why didn't he bring the harp playing ladies? Why didn't he bring the little hologram? <laughs> he was probably, that was his next play. He was going to make Janeway play the harp. That was going to be his next bit. When you, <clears throat> when you think about Riker in yeah. Star Trek, are you like, this is the version that we are shown because this was made in 1987? The real in real life, there's a sex swing in his quarters. Um, no, I think of I, whatever I saw on the screen is the real deal, and that's that. Oh, okay, all right. It, that means in the twenty three sixties, they just they get down the way Riker gets down: two ladies and a harp, fully clothed, and he's fully and he, clothed, and he talks to them. And yeah. He's like, "So long, ladies. Duty calls, ladies, or whatever." Uh, hey, please stop! Please stop interrupting. I need to get. Oh through yeah, this. sorry. This sorry, is sorry, not sorry. a good episode. Um. All right. Anyway, he wants to have a baby with her. She's not into that idea at all. Uh. So Q goes to see the gang hanging out on the holodeck. I assume so we can see this great nasty not rise a sex planet program again, where uh, TP and Harry get real sulky with him, and Neelix gets super pissy with him. And Marjan says it's great that there is a muscly man in the background in a speedo. Yes, Marjan, this whole thing is terrific uh, be- because of its equal objectification. I guess so. She was interested in that part. I bet Listen, it was the same guy from last week. It'd be great if um, what's Scott Thompson's name in this show, Lieutenant. Me. I don't remember his name. I, I have anyway, not if that to guy was point. sitting in in Speedo Man's lap, then I'd say, "All right, they're doing something." <laughs> That's right. But they're not. They're not doing nothing. No, no strides were made in this piece of shit episode. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Q goes uh, back to Janeway's quarters. He says he wants to have a relationship with her for some reason. But then, like a Q lady shows up, and she's super catty. Yeah. Well, it's our old friend Susie Plaxton. There. Yeah. Uh, yes, it is Kalar. You may know her as Kalar, uh, also as Dr. Salar, and also have we seen her in her other appearance yet? We've seen her on Enterprise as um, Blue Blue Lady. Yep, yep, as the Andorian. So I think we have now seen all of her appearances. I don't think she makes it to DS9. That's She'd instantly be one of the better actors on DS9, I think, if she showed yeah. up there. Um, I don't know. There anyway, are... she's not any kind of alien in this, and it's a mistake. Yeah, she's just a dang cue, and she plays a real kind of nagging housewife character. And, um, anyway, they're arguing and a whole shit ton of supernovas start popping off all around and it's implied that Q is responsible for, like, destabilizing the whole galaxy or something. It's really because the Qs are having a civil war over what happened the last time when Janeway ruled in favor of the guy being allowed to kill himself. The Q. And so Quinn. Quit, yeah, Quinn. And, uh, Q was inspired and started some kind of dang old revolution or something. Based on stuff. Yeah, anyway, they're at a stalemate in the Civil War, and uh, it's getting bad in the continuum. Yeah, it seems like it was one of those things where, uh, as with uh, Hugh and the Borg, they had someone had one taste of freedom, and it wrecked a whole society. Yeah. Uh, or as we're supposed to believe, I think, that Archer is laying the grounds in judgment, for instance. Yeah. Like, Star Trek loves the idea that one person can change an entire society. The Q takes Janeway to the continuum. Also the cogenitor, but the cogenitor was the bad version of this. Right. Uh, Q takes Janeway to the continuum. This time it's a civil war fantasy to help her, like, 
understand what's happening or whatever. Uh, he tells her that the whole idea is to get some of that good, good human DNA, some of that human goodness into the continuum to help shape its future. You know what he feels about the humans, that they are scary and important. Yep. Uh, big things ahead for humans. They get hemmed in by some, uh, some fucking gray shirts or something. Some fucking confederates. Uh, the other Q guys. Um... Meanwhile, the other Lady Q is stuck on Voyager, seeming uh, totally powerless. And she's got to find a way to get Voyager into the uh, into the continuum to, I don't know, f- reasons? For reasons. They have to go yep. save Janeway or whatever. Specifically, they said they want to get her back to the continuum, but like, I don't Who know cares? what they think she's going to do there. <laughs> I would be like, I don't really care about you. <laughs> This is uh, this is a wild idea. Chakotay's just like, I'm sure there's another way to get to the Q continuum besides snapping your fingers. And no one goes, wait, hold on. Why do you think that? Yeah, why would we've only ever seen the one way and they, they seem to have evolved in this very specific that way. Seems, that seems to be how they do it. It doesn't seem like a place you could go in a starship, really. It's fine, though. There's a technobabble solution. Um, hey, do you remember last time we were there, it was a dusty road? How are you going to get to that road? What's Where? your plan? How do you fly there <laughs> to the road? Anyway, turns out he's right. Uh, they get working on that. Q is wounded in the continuum, and Janeway steals him away to a dumb fake camp. Yep. Uh, and Q keeps trying to convince Janeway and uh, about the baby and even offers to send her crew home. But, like, she's not all that interested in that. See the 14 hours she spent on the bridge for the supernova earlier. She's not super worried about <laughs> getting <true>. home. <laughs> Uh, so she insists, uh, the only solution is to make a baby with the Lady Q. Uh, back on Voyager, Lady Q says some technobabble at Balana, and she's like, our shields will be better now, because this was written by the creator of Star Trek oh, The Next Daylight. Okay. It's good, though. For the rest of Voyager, they know how to make their shields ten times more powerful, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, they'll definitely remember it'll come right? up every time they're in combat. Turn on this the Q gonna, shields! They're just gonna go, all right. Well, now that we've got these great... We can fly right into a goddamn star with these great, great shields, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should be Eat shit, Kazons! <laughs> or whoever's gonna be the bad guy. God, I hope it's not the Kazons. <laughs> I don't want to see the fucking Kazons How again. How aggravating would it be if they showed up two episodes from now? Uh, anyway, then they fly into a supernova, because I guess that's how you get to the continuum. Um... Uh, then Janeway goes to the enemy camp to try and bargain for Q's life or whatever. But the enemy commander threatens to kill Q and Janeway, too, for collaborating with the enemy. And as they're strung up to be executed, which, by the way, is all a metaphor, so who knows what's really happening. (laughs) The Voyager crew and Lady Q arrive in their own fucking Civil War garb to save the day. Uh, Tom Paris even bags the enemy general. Q proposes to make a baby with Lady Q, as Janeway suggested, and then everything is, like, all good. Q even comes For some back. reason, that ends the war. Yeah, he, well, he won that one battle that Tom Paris won. The Battle of I Tom mean, Paris is what they'll call it. I do actually have a theory about why it ends the war. But we'll get to it. Uh, anyway, he even comes back and shows her the baby or whatever. Um, wow. What? Uh, hey, what was this? What was it? And why was it? Can you say that too? Make that a part of your explanation. Uh... Literally, so the why of it is they wanted to they wanted to talk about what happened to Q after the Quinn thing, and Boy. actually the Civil War shit came second. Okay, 
which is wild because you assume when you see something like this in Star Trek, uh, the guest writer really liked the Civil War. Yeah, that's what I would think. Uh, here's what I wrote. It's a little, it's a little cooked, but it was always going to be. Uh, leader is made, not born. I guess. Q, Q thinks human DNA is the important part of this, and Janeway has to tell him, "Nope, you're going to have to raise this child to be what you want to, what you want him to be." Yep. No matter what, <clears throat> it, it's nurt. Have you heard of nature versus nurture, or did you just? Did you just watch a lot of episodes of Moonlighting? <laughs> you think that's where he got that's his good the, ideas? This is the Bruce Willis sitcom, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that uh, where, uh, what's his name, played his brother? <clears throat> I, I straight up don't know because I've, I've never seen an episode of it. We know Garibaldi played his brother in something, which is fitting because, you know, obviously. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, like his less good-looking brother? Yes. It was probably said 50 times on the screen. Yes, the one where he has less DNA than Bruce Willis. Uh, anyway, that's what I think it's supposed to be about, the nature versus nurture. But we have no idea if it's going to work out or even why the Q stopped fighting. Maybe they're just excited about sex. Mm, yep, that could be. I mean, Q discovers sex in this episode. Yeah, when he ends up doing it with the Q lady, they just kind of push their fingers together. Well, they E.T. it up real and good. And it's just like... Anyway, I don't even want to... I don't let's get into it when we have to. Uh what was that worth? Oh, uh three points. Everyone already knows this take and it doesn't need to be done in sci fi. Agreed. <clears throat> I didn't even find anything that wasn't a little bit snarky. All I could come up with was love and peace are great, but if you can't attain them, just like win the war and then mandate them. Uh yeah. By the way, this is not the first time uh, this is not the last time this will come up <clears throat> today. A peaceful solution is eventually found after the war's already won. Yeah. Lots of talk about uh, peace and evolving beyond the need for conflict, but what saves the day is a bunch of army dudes shooting some other army dudes in the, inside the continuum. So, obviously not a very Trek idea, but I guess it's kind of realistic. That was a two for me. Ben gave it zero. Okay. All He's options not, are on the he table. Didn't even, he didn't even want to think about it. He doesn't care what they thought they were doing. Fuck you, Voyager. <laughs> He's a two for execution. Okay. He says he doesn't think... So the, here's the thing you didn't mention. Yeah. Chakotay admits that he's jealous. Yep. That's like... I was very surprised. I thought they were going to pretend that thing never happened. Yeah, that's just straight... That's like Archer going to T-Pole. Like, we don't need this. Yeah. Uh, he he says this cannot have been the planned payoff for Chakotay showing interest in Janeway. Uh he doesn't like the new holodeck location and neither do I. And then no cool battles, just nerds in civil war costumes. And then Q is a daddy. Yep. Yeah. It wasn't good. He's correct that it wasn't good. What did you give it for execution? I also gave it deuce. Two. So we're supposed to believe Q thought to make a baby, but never thought to do it with another Q. Cause the only option in his head, there's literally just the one is to make a human baby. That's a dumb his idea. Pl his plan is no plan. Yeah, his plan is to show up and do the whole gag. He comes up and says he's going to make he's going to give the cue a new messiah. Mhm. Mm and it's going to be a half human baby and it's going to have all these human characteristics that are going to allow the cue to progress because they become stagnant. Mhm. Mm 
This plan yeah. is no plan. Yeah, yeah. He keeps talking about like um Why would that work? Reshaping the continuum with this baby, but like all they do is um What if one of the other cues eats the baby? <laughs> I mean they are I mean all they do is snap their fingers most of the time. <laughs> but like all they do is beat the other cues in a battle and then they just make a baby anyway, but they're already in charge at that point, so like who cares? Like, just reshape the continuum any way you want, with or without a baby. You don't need the baby. What's the baby gonna do? I thought the revolution <laughs> is the part that is... I mean, isn't that the part that's gonna make them not stagnant? The part where you have a whole revolution about the ideals of your society? What's the baby gonna do? Maybe he's, like, one step ahead of a normal revolution, where he's already thought ahead, and he's like, Okay, after we win this war, do we have any ideas? I need to have at least an idea to keep people interested. Because sometimes it turns out the only idea was, what if we were in charge? And then that usually doesn't work out real good. <laughs> yep. Uh, anyway, the episode felt like a waste of time. It was a two for me. Okay, so I'm I'm not mad at the continuity with the Quinn episode. Okay. Also, Q is no more irritating in this one than in his other 15 appearances. Seems like a low bar. It's a low bar, but... It's I, I dread it so much every time that I'm going to be like, this is the one where he's every single thing I hate about Q. Yeah, he may not be any more annoying or whatever, but I think he has gotten dumber. Oh, the character of Q? The character does of seem Q to be very dumb. has gotten like mad stupid over the uh, years. Uh, I remind you, he's never been smarter than our main cast. Oh, I, yes, I agree. He was routinely beaten by the likes of uh, Picard and crew. But as as in as in this episode where the lady Q loses all of her powers, but for some reason knows an earth science way to get back to the Q continuum, yeah. we'll see an episode where Q's like, why don't you just change the, the constant the gravitational constant and you can do it this way? And it's like, why would he know that? Why would he know like Actually, I think that one's less dumb because I think he straight up says, simply change the gravitational constant of the universe. And right. then seems exasperated. I guess exasperated. that's what he would have done. Whereas she's like, fire polar on beams at these four points. And you're <laughs> right. like, what? Yeah, he seems exasperated in that TNG episode when they go, yeah, well, we don't know how to do that. He's like, oh, well, can't help you then. <laughs> okay. And well, then, see, the, prob the problem with this one then, so I guess this is worse. Yeah. The problem with this one then is like... uh why would she know? Yeah. Like, so if you're, if, if the idea is, oh, he has IQ is 2000, he's really smart. Then why is he constantly bested by Riker? Yes. And you will lose. Picard's so excited that Riker's going to go up against him. Like, I know Riker's read the art of war, <laughs> but come on. Anyway, um, there's some new camera work in this one. They did some camera stuff. Okay. And, as hateful as the civil war angle is, they've already set the precedent that humans experience their minds interpret the Q continuum. And it's reasonable that that is the civil war context that Janeway would have. Yeah. I mean, I suppose like uh, Janeway's a nerd. It might, it could be the war of the roses or something. Right. And I guess she just doesn't want to imagine Q as being on the side of the Confederacy, even though he's supposed to be the one leading some kind of revolution or something. Well, it, it it it's not a good metaphor. <laughs> yes, the setting did. makes sense, but it the, her brain the, doesn't put it all together. The whatever and and first of all, they make no effort to really explain what it is that the Q are fighting about. No, no, not at all. Something about individual freedoms or something. Mm -hmm. 
Um, which, and I guess, I guess the other, the other Q are more conservative and in, in that particular way, the South was more conservative, but you're right that the South is the one who rebelled. So anyway, it's, again, it doesn't hold together as an analogy. Yeah. Um, uh, also the idea of humans experiencing sort of impossible or next level stuff via metaphor, uh, was also established, but with the, uh, wormhole aliens. So, uh, also I think with, uh, what's, what do they call it? The caretaker, right? Aren't they, yes, aren't they the hanging out in his barn or whatever's happening? So that's all consistent. Yeah. Um, but it's super dumb that Voyager shows up in the Q continuum and Tom Harris wields a Q rifle and holds a Q at bay with it. Oh, and they make the lady say the line, oh, they've got well, our weapons. It's like, how does this knows? work? Yeah, no, exactly. How yeah. does it work? How can he, like, what's happening in the not metaphor space? That's what I'm saying. That's what I would like how to see. How can Tom Harris wield a Q weapon? Yeah. Is it, a, is it actually a physical weapon Die. that exists in this weird realm? I don't know. And uh, all the Delancey sex talk is is frankly nauseating. I'm giving it three points. Okay. Uh, world building. Uh, uh, Ben's a one. Because, I guess because they're sexless. Discovering that they're sexless. Yeah. Uh, I think they did. There's a little. There's a, just a touch more than that. Um. Actually, uh, I give it credit for a few things. So, uh, supernova observations are are rare. This sucks a little bit because they say they're the third starship to ever uh, explore one up close, and the other two are the first two Enterprises. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure we've seen it from them. (laughs) Yep, yeah, turns out it's both of them. We haven't seen the one yet where TNG uh, sees a supernova. Right. Because it's Tin Man. Danger gone, too. (laughs) Danger gone. And no, Billy boy! Uh, the Civil War and the Q Continuum. Um, the Q have always existed, maybe, if yeah, you believe that. Yeah. And uh, also, apparently, the Q Continuum is related to subspace, and you can get there in a starship. This should be big news in the world. Yeah, and especially if they remember how to do it, because then they should go in there and wield their own weapons against them and destroy them. Well, they need a supernova to do it, is the trouble. Uh, I see. But... And as we know, they're pretty uncommon. Sure. Uh, well, well, but it's a start. I gave it as many as five. Whoa! Yeah. That's a big score for world building. That's... I mean, it's five out of ten. It's not a big score. It's just that usually world building is of so little importance in Star Trek that it right. seems like a lot. Uh, I also had third crew ever to witness a supernova, and these guys were the closest ever. Q continuums in a civil war, so there's some continuity going on uh, based on the last Q episode. I guess they've never procreated with each other before. I guess you fly into some... Everything I say starts with I guess, because I was so baffled. You have to fly into some dang old supernova in order to enter the continuum. Humanoids in the continuum can, like, kill Q, I guess? Because they got those weapons? It seems like it. Um, okay, so I had it as a two because I do have reason to think, based on how Q won't go away, that we're going to have to visit the continuum again. That's <laughs> true. But I didn't like anything that happened there. <laughs> Everything in there didn't make any sense. It's like, what? They're definitely going to want to make sure that humans are never able to get back in. Because... 
they're so afraid of them, at least main queue is. And like now if they know how to get in and if they like, if the way their mind sees it, if they can like pick up a gun in the continuum and shoot a dude, I would think that'd be pretty dangerous. Anyway, um, so I, I only had it as a two. We usually aren't that far off on world building. I just didn't see anything in there that I thought was important in a way that didn't make me take a dump out of frustration. I don't know if it's worth talking about any further, but like this is the most powerful race. Yeah. This is a race that's so powerful that they mostly just leave us all alone. Yeah, if only they did that a little bit more. And we're kind of learning a lot about them. We already had reason to suspect a few things, like that Q could be killed. Uh, <laughs> because Asgard is by that phaser. <laughs> he does not want that. By the way, if this was on the stun setting, it would not have harmed you. <laughs> not only can he be killed, he can be knocked out by a phaser on stun. It would have been hilarious if Q had gone, mm, you don't know that. <laughs> How do you know what that'll do to me? It's scary. Um, it's I, just like, uh, I see your point, but I rarely, I, so I, I, I get that, but typically if there's a lot of world building being done, if I'm grossed out by it, I'm not gonna, I, I can't score it. It's like, yeah. if I'm figuring, if I'm saying the universe got dumber today, then it makes me not <laughs> give a lot of points. All right. Well, we're going to be a little bit apart on this episode. Uh, characterization. By the way, I want to make it clear. I did not enjoy this episode. It was it was really hard to watch. So Marjan and I watched this one together, and it was very hard to watch. We were both upset by this episode. Um, characterization, Ben gave it a two. Uh, Janeway's dressing down of Q using her SAT words sort of did it for him, though, because she was feisty, but everything else was awful. Um, I agreed it was a two. <laughs> So, okay, Janeway was on the bridge for 14 hours so she wouldn't miss that supernova? Like, what are they doing? Why don't they go home? Yeah. Why why is this the mission? Why are they wasting their time on this? Like, just, uh, I don't know, send a probe or something. Who cares? Um, Surprise, she doesn't want to have Q's baby. She loves dogs, though. Um, Nah, he does make a puppy for her. She believes in some. Shouldn't get to keep it. He should have given her that puppy at the end. She, uh, she, she would have pulled a a Riker, and refused. I don't need your, I don't need your puppy. He would have said, "Now that my friends don't want these good gifts, I, I'm gonna act like I don't want them." Um, she believes in some very traditional family values. A man and a woman in love can make a baby, and nobody else can. Yeah. Well, for her, she can't have a child with someone she doesn't love. Uh, Janeway, but you're right. This episode is extremely heteronormative. Janeway pleads on behalf of Q, and then pleads with the other Q to like be the bigger man and strive for peace. Um, yep. Q is trying to put one in Janeway. He makes a dick joke about how his tattoo is bigger than Chakotay's. Yep. Is Q getting dumber because he keeps hanging out with Starfleet? Like, now we're supposed to believe... He makes a remark about how he's been spending his time impressing females of the universe with his omnipotence. But, like, Q's not into stuff like that. Well, he wasn't. That's what I'm saying. Like, when he first showed up, he's very serious about um, keeping the savage races away. 
or specifically yep. about making humanity go away because of their great future or whatever. Right. Now he's just cruising for chicks, I guess. I don't know. Um, he does seem dumber. In a way, he's uh, still in awe of humans like he was in season one, though. He thinks human genetic material will help shape the new continuum. And then before Chakotay admits he's jealous, I wrote in real time, is Chakotay jealous in this episode? That would be wild. Yeah, yeah then he just came out and said it. <laughs> he just said just, what he was feeling. He's like, ah, gotta admit, I'm pretty jealous. And I, okay. Uh, he got real. He even seems to think that it's not reasonable for him to be jealous, but he is. Like, yeah, he's like, I can't believe I'm, I'm gonna say this, but I'm feeling a little bit jealous or whatever. It's like, ugh. Uh, anyway, he gets real shouty with the lady cue at one point. Uh, Tom Paris and Harry Kim are broing down hard on the holodeck, talking about how great it would be to get mad ruddy in front of the crew and have the morning staff meetings in their sex program. Yeah. Tom Paris gets real butthurt that Q won't tell him what he's up to, like like their buddies or something. <laughs> he gets real upset, and he's like, come on, Harry, we're not going to get anything out of this guy. And it's like, yeah, you're not. He's Q. <laughs> But, oh, and plus, also, Q came to them trying to be all buddy-buddy and, like, get advice on how to sex Janeway. <laughs> yeah, like, what do you guys and think? They passed on that opportunity. <laughs> yeah. They I, were not helpful to him at all, and now they're like, he's not our friend. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You guys should have broke down with him a little bit like he wanted to. Hey, should have had a beer with him so he didn't have to go talk to the bar rodent. I just, I, I, at first I thought it was a Little League thing, like, they just got to put him in the episode, but then TP kept coming back in this episode. Fucking shows up in the end yeah it was a two it was a two for me uh i gave it a nine no i gave it a three <laughs> um janeway is mostly fine but it's a little night it's a little naive of her to think she's just gonna walk into the enemy camp and call a truce herself yeah like has that worked for her yet i feel like every time she um tries to convince some alien species to be good they end up shooting at her like 10 minutes later yeah, no, they're like, no, we have our own whole society. We, <laughs> That's right. We, we, we've, we're cool. We're cool on decision making. It's cool that you think you're that important, but like, uh, that didn't really move the needle for us. Uh, no one else from Voyager's in this episode, and Q is Q. So I, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, again, no, there weren't. There was no way this was gonna get a lot of points in characterization, and they should be happy they got three. I'm already, uh, uh six points ahead of you on this one. Yeah, that's how it goes. That is how it goes. Uh, no quick hitters from Ben. Do you uh, do you have some of those? Uh, sure, I do. Uh, seduction cue is the worst cue. It's not good. Is that like sex dax is the best dax? Sex dax is the best dax, and sex cue that the worst almost Q. rhymes. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I was unclear whether he was implying that Romulus has an empress now, or had an empress in the past. Yeah, was that supposed to be some kind of... It was just in his list of conquests, right? Ah, uh, yeah. He said something about a Romulan empress, and I was like... Well, first, because of STO, I was like, you mean Sela? Yeah, you're pre- yeah, you're on that Sela tip, but I don't I don't think they had decided that yet. Yeah. Uh, but uh, also, during his talk to her about how she's not getting any younger, etc., etc., though she was still wants to have a baby, I was like... Hey, it's just occurring to me now that if it takes Voyager 70 years to get home, Janeway might not live to see that. Yeah. She might not have 70 left in her clock. 
Humans live longer, but like it's not. Yeah, but it's not. And guaranteed. it's not. By the way, not clear how old she's supposed to be. Yeah, not clear how old she's supposed to be. And also, um, just because you can live to 130 doesn't mean you will. And also, that everybody it's does. Fucking dangerous in that quadrant. And also, their only doctor is a weird hologram with a personality. <laughs> a bad personality, right? Yeah. So you know. Um. Q is omnipotent, he will say here. But it's also very important that everyone knows he's no homo. (laughs) Yep. He makes it very clear that his interest is only in females of every species. He likes boobs. He's just going to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's one one of the things I was saying about this episode being heteronormative. Like, it's, it's unimaginative, right? Q is not... I, well, it's either unimaginative or it's world building. We're positing the concept that male and female are so... Well, ask Spock. <sighs> so <laughs> there fundamental. There are two genders. It's absolute and it, everyone knows it. That even omnipotent energy beings that were began omnipotent and have always existed mm-hmm. and never had a physical form and also don't reproduce yeah. have such a strong concept of male and female... That uh, Q's got a huge case of the not gays. Yeah, he does go like cross species. He mentions some fake alien animals. I didn't take notes that he could have chosen. Yes, but he never says a dude. Nope. <laughs> he makes sure. Yeah. Uh, and then also, I wished everyone would stop saying female. I understand when you're talking about multiple different species mm-hmm. that it. I guess it would be weird to say woman instead, but uh, it it really it really makes Q sound like an incel. Yeah, they they always. By the way, the whole crew continues to refer to Kalar as the female Q. Yeah, but they never call him the male Q. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> no, they sure don't. It is. I guess someone thought it was cute that everyone in the Q continuum is just named Q. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Corbin Burnson was introduced, I guess. Yep, the great Corbin Burnson. Although his Star Trek card calls him Q2. Yes, because uh, he's not a character, he's an event, I think, of some kind. Oh, an interrupt, yeah, is maybe. he an interrupt? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> is he not a dilemma? It's not, anyway. good. it's not good that we can remember the categories of Star Trek card, but I guess it is on brand. The game is fucking unplayable. Yes. Um. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. it, it sucks. It sucks real bad, but the... It, it's now a hassle if they want to show other members. So much yeah. so that they made they gave that... You know what? This guy's Quinn. We're not going to keep trying to figure out which Q is being talked about this whole episode. Yeah, and then they like they couldn't think of another Q name for her. Oh, they just didn't fucking bother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess if Starfleet wants to go to the Q continuum again, they just need to find a supernova. Maybe steal one of those great pistols. Yeah. Yep. I give best actor to Janeway, I guess, and uh, worst actor to uh, Susie Q. I didn't think she pulled it off, frankly. She, um, Marjan pointed out she uh, is in Everybody Loves Raymond as uh, Robert's ex-wife. And the only reason I was like, oh, that's true, is because I remember her doing the exact same voice and attitude. For that. I think it actually only works as Kalar. Yeah, because even as Dr. Solar, you're like, why is she, she act like she smells shit. Mm, like, she doesn't why? seem like a Vulcan at all. Seems What's like going on? Super bitchy. What's her problem? 
But the last time I watched TNG, I liked Kalar so much that every time I see her, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. But it's kind of not. Well, it wasn't this time for sure. Uh, I got some. Yeah, give them to me. Neelix was super hamming it up in this teaser. Just so over the moon excited about this fucking supernova. Why? Yeah. Uh, he he doesn't. He's got to act like he fucking knows what it is, even. Because <laughs> he's fucking trash peddler? Like, what? who gives a shit? I I sell junk in my junk shuttle. But a I, supernova! I love science! Also, I have a weird military pass. Guys, have you seen my feet? My girlfriend's too! <laughs> uh, why did I get the feeling this whole episode was a Kate Mulgrew idea? And she was like, John and I had such great chemistry last time, and I think the viewers would really enjoy our interplay if we could do another one together. I mean, because she gave an interview that was basically like, John and I always have such great <laughs> chemistry when we work together. Oh, did she? Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I told Marjan, I said, I really get the feeling this was a Kate Mulgrew deal. I think she just went to the producers and went, you know, it was great, that Q episode. Um, Marjan, note number one, who's doing her hair? Where is she getting her hair done? Janeway? Yep. She's got, always got, like, a slightly different hairstyle going on up there on the bridge. Uh, I have a theory. Okay. Neelix. <laughs> it's just another one of his many jobs. Yeah, I can't <laughs> imagine there's a full-time barber on that ship anymore. No, and I, I, you're probably right that he desperately feels like he needs to add something to the crew. He's probably studying, like, nine different things at all times. Like, studying to be the fucking barber, studying to be the fucking... Uh, uh, morale officer, the fucking chef. The he's got a he's leaving his entire home and life to go to a whole new quadrant. He's got to have a skill when he gets there. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's right. Because they're already in an area where he don't know a much. <laughs> yep. So, like, what's he gonna do on Earth? As we say, for some reason, like, he's lucky. It's a uh, post scarcity economy. Yeah, what's he going to bring to the fucking table? Well, again, he's learning a lot of skills. Maybe he'll be able to do something. Like, I would say, I guess he can, like, start a little weird restaurant or something. And be like... Next to the we, Klingon are restaurant. We, are we going to the restaurant for the with, from the guy from the Delta Quadrant, the weird guy? And they're like, I hate talking to him, but I guess we could go there. <laughs> also, his food's weird. That's right. It's, everything's got fucking Leola root in it. Um... Marjan, note number two, Janeway has a good body for a woman her age. That made me upset. Again, I don't think she's supposed to be that old. You know what? I'm going to look it up. Oh, yeah, I'm sure she has a birth date that is either yeah. an alpha or beta source. Um, yeah, no, I know. I, I saw her in the bathtub. Yeah. Uh, she's keeping it tight. We all know that. Uh, this lady Q, desperate to get her cheating man back. Good job, writers. Great portrayals of women. Just continue. <laughs> never ends. Uh, is this the camera work you were talking about? Hilarious zooms on Q and Janeway's faces during this execution scene. Yeah. I'm not saying it totally worked, but they tried some stuff. I was like, what? What's happening? Uh... And then, Shit, I guess we're going to have to go to memory beta. That's what I was going to say. I'm not sure there's a, a memory alpha source. There might be a... They don't appear to have said anything like what year she graduated from the academy or anything that would let you put it together. Someone who works on this show brought in their ugly baby to play Q's baby, right? 
Yeah, I assume so. I, I assume they didn't cast a baby. That was not a Hollywood good-looking baby. I'll just say that. That was a real <laughs> run-of-the-mill everyday baby that you could just see at your friend's house or whatever. That's it. That's really enough time. We always spend too much time on the show. That's it. <laughs> well, they're not right. doing any. Like they're not getting better. Why aren't they gonna get? Can they get better? I gotta keep well, doing this. First of all, there's so much. There's so much more time. There's like a million more. <laughs> I know they did like 168 of, of these fucking. This things. thing went seven. <laughs> it went seven. Yeah. Uh, memory beta says twenty three thirty five. So she's like 40-ish? So she's... Yeah. Uh, so 71 is when they go to the Whoa, really? Alpha Quadrant. Yeah. So, so that she's young. A 36. So she's, she's about young 38, for a starship captain. 38 by this point. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, reasonable that she's got a few childbearing years left in her, especially in the 24th century. And also, uh, Marjan, do you think she still has a, a real good body for 36? Uh, and now I'm trying to see how old, what's her name was, Mulgrew. Looks like she was about Honestly, 40. she could have been any goddamn age because her voice and <laughs> mannerisms make her seem elderly. It's true. <laughs> like, I don't think it has anything to do with her appearance, really. Yeah, I mean, it looks like uh, Voyager started in 95. She was 40 when that started, so by now she's like 42 or something. So I think forty-two playing thirty-eight is yeah, that's reasonable. That's not even that's yeah. not even that that's not even Hollywood magic. That's yeah. just pretty normal. All right. I well, I thought she was older too, but I, I guess she's. Pretty I think young. the voice is, is doing that work. Um, but you're right. We spent more than enough time on Voyager. Uh, time to get to a good episode. A real, a real good episode. <laughs> yeah. Next in the list is TOS. This week we watched the Omega Glory. Enterprise arrives at planet Omega-4, where they find uh, another starship in orbit, the USS Exeter. It had been patrolling the area, and it doesn't appear to be damaged, but they don't answer their hail. Hmm. So the big three, plus a Lieutenant Galway... (laughs) Feel so beam bad for over, that guy. <laughs> beam over to the engineering section, and they find a red uniform next to a pile of salt. And it uh, turns out that's all that's left of the crew. How excited were you when you saw these white crystals? Dude, every fucking week. It's, uh, why are they always getting turned into crystals of some kind? It's like the most crystals common are cheap, thing. and a fake skeleton is not, I guess. I named my, my entire notes this week. It's chapter 52, Let's Be Crystals. <laughs> Just never ends. Uh, McCoy reveals that the white crystals are what you get left if you take all the water from the human body. Hmm. And uh, Spock plays the surgeon's last log entry on screen, in which a doctor tells them they're dead men, they can't go back to their own ship, and their only hope is to get down there fast, and also mentions a Captain Tracy. And then he does a hilarious pratfall off the screen. He falls off off the screen, the screen does like a Wayne's World shimmer. (laughs) And then uh, Kirk looks down at his pile of salt as if maybe he turned instantly to salt when he hit the ground. It's not clear. They chose not to show it. Yeah. So uh, they all beam down and they interrupt what looks like Mongolians about to execute some barbarians. Mm. But uh, then Ron Tracy shows up and he's the bad doctor from that other episode. Yep. 
uh, the one where they were the Nazis. Dagger of the Mind? Sure, yes. Um, oh, you, oh, okay. Ex- oh, you mean it's the same actor who played that doctor in the episode The Dagger of the Mind. I was yes. saying he's essentially the same character as whatever his name was who went and gave them Nazis. Uh, John Gill? No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. The, the actor has been in Star Trek previously. Right. Uh, he stops the execution, and he explains to Kirk that the prisoners are called Yangs, the villagers are Cones. Uh, he says the villagers were shocked that he looks like a Yang because these barbarians are white. Yeah. Uh, I should say. The main one looks like uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Just just a heads up on that guy. Um, But it turns out they're friendly. He also says that living on the planet's surface protects people from the disease. Um. But they can never leave. Right. That's his theory. And that's because Kirk. the Exeter crew had been down to that planet, and then they... And then they went back up and died. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, Kirk, uh, he catches a uh, mention of f- fire boxes or something, referring to phasers, and immediately figures out, Tracy, he's been violating the Prime Directive down here. Once again, everybody they run into out in the fucking cosmos has been violating the Prime Directive. And he's unusually mad about it. Well, I mean, fuck, how many times has it got to happen? He's starting I mean, to he, get pretty pissed off. We, he did just have the whole Nazi scenario, so maybe now he's like, you know what, enough's enough. Yeah, this this t- from bullshit. now on, we're taking the Prime Directive seriously. Yeah. On my, on my watch. Not on my watch. That's right. Uh, Ron Tracy. We're not going to do another Nazis here. Yeah. Um, McCoy believes that the infection in their systems is similar to an old Earth biological warfare experiment. Yeah. Um, Galway gets uh, gets a lance in the chest from these Yangs. Uh, that doesn't really matter. He's just injured. Yeah, you knew uh, it was going to be a bad episode for him when it was the big three and him. It was like, yeah, oh. Galway and Spock have been out reconnoitering, and Galway gets gets one in the chest, and Spock comes in and he's like, "Well, here it is. We found Captain Tracy's reserve phaser power packs. He killed like three hundred of these fucking Yangs. Yeah, he did." He's been phasering them left and right. So uh, Kirk starts to tell Enterprise about the interference, but Tracy busts in, cold ices Galway, and uh, and then uh, tells a lie, tries to tell a lie to Sulu, who's in command up there. But luckily, uh, he doesn't get Kirk out of the room first, so Kirk manages to shout Sulu. Yep. And uh, I guess from that point on, Sulu is probably suspicious. It doesn't come up, frankly. Yeah, this guy has a, a couple of times in this episode has a plan that he's just going to get Sulu to do something up there, and it doesn't work out any of the times he tries to do it. Yeah. Uh, Tracy tells uh, Kirk, uh, so now Tracy's going to spin out his plan. It turns out that not only does this particular virus not kill you if you're down here on this planet, there's no fucking diseases at all here. And he brings in his friend who's 400 years old. Yeah. And he's like, it's the fucking fountain of youth. And now that McCoy's here, if we can get him to isolate this serum, we're we're going to sell this to the highest bidder. We're going to become rich men in the galaxy. Also, fuck Starfleet. Right. Uh, they have a dumb fist fight and Tracy wins and locks him up in a cell with the gangs who are, so far have just been like growling animals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, Kirk fights him for probably hours while Spock <laughs> gives commentary uh, before he wins with a good old fashioned uh, judo move and Spock neck pinches the woman. 
Uh, I, I'm, I'll just take this a little bit out of my characterization. Kirk participates in over 100 fist fights in this episode. It is <laughs> I mean, a wild, a wild episode. <laughs> but so, like when I say that he fights them for probably hours, he gets in a fight with them. They cut away to McCoy, who <laughs> is just does some scanning and stuff, <laughs> yeah. and then they cut back and he's still fighting. Yes. And it's like it's not clear how long the fight's been going on, but it could easily have been hours because the first thing he says is they never seem to get tired. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, okay. Neither does Kirk, apparently. He's sweaty. Uh, Spock theorizes that the planet is experiencing the aftermath of a bacteriological war that destroyed one of the civilizations and sent the other back to basics. Don't worry about it. Kirk will explain the difference between the two civilizations to you. One is the yellow civilization and the other is the white. Yes. Um... Anyway, this is one of those magic word episodes because Kirk accidentally says the word freedom, and it turns out that the Yangs uh, speak English and worship the word freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they say how and a bunch of stuff, and they <laughs> have feathers and, and so on. Right. Um, it's real racist. This is a bad episode. It's racist against everybody at the same time somehow. It's it's just like omni-racist. Yeah. Kirk manages to get one of the bars on the cell loose, mm. uh, and the Yang uh, pulls it out, knocks him out, and uh, he and his lady escape through the cage. Don't worry, she never gets a name. No, she, got, has a, she doesn't like cross the line and become a love interest. No, she has a couple. She says a couple of words, and Spock hypnotizes her with his eyes, but it's <laughs> she doesn't have a name. Right. Um, Kirk wakes up. He lets Spock out. They knock out McCoy's guards. McCoy tells them, uh, he's got it pretty figured out at this point, the the disease is already out of their systems, and they can leave at any time. The only reason the Exeter crew was killed is because they didn't stay on the planet long enough before they left. Right. Also, there's no Fountain of Youth. That dude is 400 years old because after the war, it sucked so much that only the very hardiest people survived, and they evolved this longevity. Right. So... Tracy's whole shit is blown up. It's just not going to work. Um, Tracy busts in at this point, back from some terrifying battle where thousands of people, uh, most or all of the villagers, for instance, were killed. Right. Uh, he wants Kirk to call down more phasers from Enterprise. Uh, I think Kirk tries to demonstrate that even if he tries to give the order, Sulu won't follow through on it. But it just seems like when Sulu asks for authorization, Kirk doesn't give it. And Tracy doesn't say, like, well, this is where you give him the authorization to beam down the phasers. <laughs> right. He just kind of gives up. He shrugs his shoulders at him like, what can you do? Uh, he, I mean, he congratulates him on having a well-trained bridge crew. And then he chases him through the empty village. His phasers out of juice. They fight over an axe. <laughs> fight and then uh, Kirk's Yang buddy shows up and captures him at spear point. I thought the episode was over, but it <laughs> nah, was not. There's time for more fights. Anyway, here's what happens. Uh, it turns out that the Yangs are Yankees and the Cones are communists. Oh, and good. these old boys fought the war that Earth escaped. They bring in an actual American flag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Yang leader, whose name is Cloud William, good. begins reciting the Pledge of Allegiance badly. And Kirk finishes it for him. He knows the words. And this guy's like, what the fuck? How do you know our holy words? And Kirk's, Kirk starts to Picard him here. Yeah. Kirk starts to, who watches the Watchers, where he's like, one of those lights up there is our home planet, the Earth, and we went through a bunch of this stuff. Anyway, Tracy pipes up at this point, and he says, Kirk's the devil. Yeah. 
And you can tell he's the devil because he's always hanging around with Spock. Who and looks if like you a look devil. in your Bible, for some reason, I know there's a drawing of Spock in there as the devil. <laughs> Everyone in the 60s thought that that was what the devil looked like. That he looked like like Leonard Nimoy with pointy ears and a weird haircut. <laughs> Every five episodes, somebody says it. Nah, he looks like, looks like the devil. Yep. Uh, and uh, sure enough, sure enough, uh, it's, in, it's right there in the Bible. He looks like the fucking devil. Yeah. So this is not a great situation, but uh, I guess at this point, Cloud Williams is like, well, but Kirk doesn't suck, and this other guy does, so uh, we're going to give you guys one last chance. I'm going to start to say the extra special holy words, holier than this fucking Bible, for sure. Uh, And uh, I'll start them, and whichever one of you finishes them is a messenger from God. Wait, did we uh, we already skip the part where they have to fight even one more time because surely the one that is good will be victorious? Don't wait, don't don't worry about it. Oh, it's that's coming. still coming. Okay, all right. I will, okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, he's gonna have them recite the greatest of holies, um, and he says the words, but it's it's not English, and Kirk doesn't doesn't quite. It seems familiar to Kirk, but he doesn't quite know what it is. Mm. So he asks for a trial by combat. Right. So uh, again, they do it up Western movie Indian style, where they tie Kirk and Tracy's left hands together and put a knife on the ground in between and tell them to fight to the death. Yeah. During the dumb fight, Spock mesmerizes the unnamed woman, <laughs> and she brings the communicator to to Spock. And Spock just opens it and doesn't do shit. He just leaves it open. Doesn't want to give That's himself good away. Enough. Yeah. Uh, Kirk disarms Tracy, but he's not gonna kill him. You know, because he's Kirk. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, at this point, Sulu beams down with a landing party. I wonder who he left in command. Scotty, Must I be guess. Scotty, yeah. He's usually the yeah. next in line. I guess now that they've got Sulu back, they can stop making Scotty the captain. Right. Uh, and uh, anyway, this is more than enough to convince Cloud William that uh, Kirk is some kind of angel or god. Mm. Because three people just materialized in front of him. Yeah. So uh, then he beams down and he's like, I was confused when you didn't know the words. And Kirk says, you said them so badly. I didn't understand. Like he just blows him up, blows up his whole spot. Also, I love if you didn't know the words, you could just accuse the other person of doing it wrong. Yeah, you did it bad. <laughs> uh, I knew him. You're not good at him. Uh, and he tells him, listen, here's another thing you got to know. This is important for some reason. By the way, not I'm not a god. I'm done trying to convince you of that. Right. Uh these sacred words were not written for chiefs only because they're fucking amazing. These are amazing words. These are the good words. He gives him a whole fucking lecture about how great these words are as he reads the preamble to the United States Constitution. We the people! Written in letters uh, bigger than the rest! Hams it up real good. Enjoy this, by the way, everyone. He's Canadian. I know. Uh... Kirk tells Spock that uh, he didn't violate the Prime Directive. He was just reading them their own document, and they fuck, they all fuck off as the Star Spangled Banner plays again. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah. Again, in case I didn't say this, at no point does anyone attempt to explain why there is an American flag and the United States Constitution. Sure. It is not explained at all. Yep. What's this episode about, Matthew? Even if we lose the Cold War, no commie can keep us down. That's a zero, obviously. I mean, it's nothing. I thought it was going to be an episode about non-interference, but they lose that track pretty early in the episode. Then it just becomes a weird alternate Earth Cold War story for no reason, so it's a zero for me. (sighs) 
Ben's got a two. Good will win because we're Americans. <laughs> okay. That's two points. Uh, I mean, this is arguably what the episode's about. Yep. They'll do an episode where they're like on the sly critical about the the Cold War. Right. And then they'll do an episode that's just like as jingoistic as is humanly possible. Absolutely. It's, it's very inconsistent. Also, I didn't remember how much their Vietnam War episode was pro-Vietnam War. Yes, about how the proxy war is the good way to do it. That's right. That's how you're supposed to do it. The only way. It's literally the exactly what happens everywhere in the entire galaxy. Uh, he gives it a two. Um, freedom and liberty have to apply to everyone or they don't count, is what Kirk says it's about. But everything in the episode says otherwise. Yeah. The cones are already vanquished. Yeah. The rest of the episode has been sort of about the prime directive. Yeah. The message that Kirk says at the end is a good message, but it's not this story. This episode's a no-take. Yeah. Zero. I agree. It's a nothing. It's a cold zero. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I know what your rule is. If it's a no-take, it's a zero on execution. Does that hold up? I did give it zero points for execution. Do you have notes? I do have some notes. Okay. Um, I always try to give them credit when they try a thing, so like... Uh, when they're on the Exeter, they put a lot of echo in to indicate empty that they're in empty space, that the ship's empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just did way too much. It's way overdone. Yeah. Uh, mad that they made no attempt whatsoever to explain why Earth and Omega-4 are the same. Uh-huh. <laughs> why, why we have these uh, white men and... Eight, uh, sorry, I think they say Asiatics. Asi- yes, Asiatic. Asiatics who uh, look exactly like humans, and also they fell along the same party lines in the Cold War <laughs> yes. as Americans and Chinese communists. Yeah, because your racial memory, I think, had a lot to do with. But that. even if you, even if you wanted to say, well, they didn't come right out and say it, but there, it's probably we're doing a convergent evolution thing. Mm. The actual American flag, yeah, and the the actual uh, and the words. Bible and the actual United States Constitution. Uh huh. Yeah, not only that. Are so that, wild. It goes beyond that. Not only does no one attempt to explain it, all that happens is Kirk is so happy when he figures out what it is. Oh, yeah. That's He's it. very pleased with himself for working out that it was the preamble. He's like, of the uh, this, this is all American stuff. I got this. He, he, even he is not, like, confused. He's just like, oh, good. I know America. I got this. Not, why yeah, is it honestly, America? Honestly, when I, if I, when I saw that American flag, I was like, did another ship show up here 500 years ago yeah, I somehow? Thought we were going to get or some, fall through a wormhole? Some or... two-line explanation about what happened. Nah. Nope. Just nothing. Also, why can't Cloud William read them? Why can't he read it right? <laughs> I don't know. He speaks English. I guess he doesn't read it. Just speaks it. What's I happening? Zero points. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Just zero. It's just a zero. I think even if I had a take, this is a zero for execution. Because that's so... It's such a huge misstep. Ben gave it a one. In the Twilight Zone, they would have tried to explain what happened. Oh, in the Twilight Zone, there would have been a neat little explanation. It wouldn't have been dumb. It would have been really dumb, but it, there would have been an explanation. It's like if in the Planet of the Apes, at the end, he sees the Statue of Liberty, and he, and he goes, oh, I guess they have one of those here, too. <laughs> that's right. Well, look at that. I know that one. Hey, guys, I know what it says on that. Do you want to know? Will it make me a god if I can tell you what's on that statue? <laughs> uh, ben gave it a one. He, he notes the weird cut in the middle of the jail fight. To me, it reminded me of that time we joined that Kirk fight in progress. <laughs> <laughs> 
which is always one of my favorite moments. Yeah, it's just and journey to, hard journey cut, to Babel. Hard cut in the middle of a Kirk fight in the corridor. You're like, wait, what's happening? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's got all the stuff that you'd want to know about this episode. Uh, the fake Indian trial knife fight. Uh, yeah. Um, I was with you. I gave it a zero. I just said, nah. It's a fucking bummer. Yeah, I mean, what am I even supposed to do with this? It's nothing. It's just, it's so far from being anything. This really, in terms of... I, now I kind of wish there were degrees of zero. Because I feel like <laughs> this is the most zero. Well, honestly, uh, Ben has given negative numbers. This is the one where I contemplated it. It's just so dumb. <laughs> I mean, it was. I found it entertaining in its dumbness. But uh, for this project, I mean, there's nothing. What am I supposed to do with it? Yeah, and by the way, this episode would work much better if everything was just an analog. Yeah, you could just everything could just be a metaphor or an analogy or whatever. It could just be like uh, this is just like what ha- they do this all the time. By the way, this is just like what happened uh, in the old Brush Wars or whatever they exactly. call them. Exactly. Yeah. You d- it does. You don't need any of the rest of that. Yep. Yeah. You should show like you. They make no attempt to show any aspect of the village life at all. It's not clear if they are were actually communists. Yeah. If they have any remnants of that behavior. They and also why these guys are taking orders from Captain Tracy is it cuz he's got a phaser? I mean, that's why I'd take orders from him because he doesn't even care about phasering hundreds of people. Last week when they saw actual SS uniforms, was that last week, week before? Or two weeks last ago? week was another one of these omnipotent beings get human bodies and right, 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 right. Yeah, but two weeks ago when they saw actual SS uniforms, Kirk and Spock were like, "No chance." Yeah, this is definitely John Gill. Yeah, we couldn't just have Nazis. I mean, they this even have week, the same uniforms and symbols. Marching an American yeah. flag. Now these guys don't hear the little snippet of the Star Spangled Banner in a minor key that plays when Are they you bring sure? in the tattered American. Well, I don't know. Are you I sure? You I guess you can't know it. No one remarks on it. This is like when we were watching the Royale, and I was like. Hey, is the music playing in Picard's ready room? <laughs> is he listening to an audiobook? What's happening? Yep. Um, when they march in that fucking tattered American flag, mm. Kirk and Spock are just like, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And it's not this guy, this guy who we already know is crazy, gave them all this American stuff. They're just like, all yeah. right, these are Americans. Now yep, we got Americans here. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, I guess I'll go into world building. Uh, we already talked about Omega-4 and the Exeter, Captain Ron Tracy. Uh, the helm was left on automatic. Um, an infection of some kind that makes you a dang old crystal, but only if you leave the planet. But no, actually, you build up an immunity crazy fast and the crew's immune after hanging out there for a day or two or whatever. Uh, a star captain's most solemn oath is to do anything, even give up their lives to obey the prime directive. I feel like every time it's mentioned in TOS, it becomes more important. Yeah, well, they didn't think of it for two seasons, and now that they're now that we're at the end of season two here, they're like, oh, what if? And I think it, it is, was important. I think it is because they keep running into shit. <laughs> so now, like, they keep probably sending out a, another email every week, Starfleet Command, saying, "All right, now seriously though." We, uh, given recent events, we really got to make sure we're paying attention to this prime directive. I mean, or alternately, like, I mean, so I imagine the real world explanation is Gene Roddenberry read a National Geographic about some untouched tribe in the Amazon. Yeah. 
but anyway, in-universe, it's becoming more and more emphasized, it seems. Um, the Yangs and the Cones. The Yangs have lifespans of over a thousand years or something. Um, Sulu was left in command, we talked about. Parallels with American Indians from, uh, from Kirk, except, no, they're Yankees now. Yankees and commies, how's that possible? How are there Asians? Why is this American flag here? How's this happening? Another parallel Earth question mark. Spock looks like a devil again. Oh, Spock's mind control powers leveled up with this bitch. Yep, he can do that now. She just straight up was brainwashed and brought him the communicator. Um, Normally he has to touch a door, at least. I had it as a one, but a zero would also be valid, I think. <laughs> just because it's so stupid. It's extremely bad. So I think the the problem is, if you accept that this is just a thing that can happen in the universe, that there can just be an American flag... I can't accept it, because there was no explanation. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a big thing for the universe that that could be true. And we already sort of had to eat that with Miri. Yeah. Yes. But it sucks. I gave it a one. Okay. <sighs> Uh, we see some bits of procedure when he formally puts Ron Tracy under arrest. Okay. Yeah, he's got It's a... borrowed. It's borrowed from the other procedure, really. Even to the point where he says, well, that was the first question you were required to ask me. Right. Yeah, because he's arresting him, but he's being held at gunpoint. Like, Kirk is being held at, at gunpoint, but is trying to arrest this guy. Right. So he's like, all right, good job. You said the words you needed to say. Thanks. Um... We know that a ship on patrol can be in orbit of some planet empty for six months and no one notices it's missing. So there's some idea of the autonomy of the ship. Yeah, these really are true cruisers, just out on their own, doing their own thing. Phasers have power packs. Mm -hmm. One point. Yeah. <clears throat> they Listen, it is... Arguably, it should be negative points because this this idea is so wild and terrible that I hate it so much. Yep. That this is just how the universe is and they don't even question it. But again, already had to, you already had to sort of buy in that when they call it Hodgkin's Law of Parallel Development or whatever in <sighs> yeah. Miri. Yep. Uh, so I guess we already kind of knew that about the universe and this particular instance of it just super sucks. Yeah. A lot of negative world building. I gave it two for characterization. Recently. Okay. Uh, I just want, I just needed one line from Kirk and Spock saying the coincidences are unbelievable. In Cat's Paw, they were so skeptical of their setting that Spock had to propose some kind of racial memory. God. One of Spock's many facts that baffle me. In Patterns of Force, of course, the exact Nazi symbols mean that someone had directly interfered, but there's just no, no questions here at all. Yeah. Kirk can't do a better job of cluing in Sulu that he's being held captive. Normally, Star Trek gives us so much of this uh, nonverbal communication and code words and clues and everything, but you're right. Kirk goes very straight with his message to Sulu. This is some shit that, uh, by the way, I don't think Scotty would have been fooled by up there also. No, didn't something happen recently where he tries to get Scotty to do something and Scotty's crazy confused about it? I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, yeah, there was some shit like that. It, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, Spock can mesmerize a woman. Everyone is just following the script in this episode, and the script sucks. Like The only explanation for most of the things that happen is these characters are saying this because a writer told them to say this. 
Yeah. And that's, it's just unsatisfying. I gave it two points. There really aren't even good to, like, I guess, I guess you could enjoy Kirk spouting on about freedom at the end. Uh, cause he hams it up real good, but mm. yeah, I'm Ben gave it a three. Yeah. He gave a five on world building. I don't know if we talked about that. Yeah. He gave well, a- he, we see an, another constitution class starship. Mm-hmm. Apparently they lose these things like crazy. Each ship has their own insignia. Um, now they have the prime directive. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually had this as high as a four on characterization. Okay. So, uh, I like Kirk in this episode. He's crazy pissed at this guy for interfering with the society and also murdering hundreds of people. Uh, they don't seem to care about that too much. Again, these notes are always in real time. Kirk gets in roughly 50 fistfights in the first 20 minutes of this episode. He's taking his oath very seriously today. Then uh, he tells these boys you can't judge somebody by their face alone when they say Spock's a devil, which I thought it was nice. It was cool of him to, to help out Spock like that. Um, and then I said Kirk cleared 100 fist fights by the end of the episode. I mean, he's just constantly fighting. The and whole by the way, he episode. loses two-thirds of the fights, which is weird for him. <laughs> yeah. I thought he had something in his contract that said that couldn't happen. It was a wild episode. Uh, then he gives his passionate speech about how the magic words are for, for the cones, too. It's for everybody. Um, the cones are dead. It doesn't matter what he says. Let's <laughs> go out and read to their bodies. They're smoking bodies. The uh, Cloud Williams says this was the last cone place. <laughs> he has wiped them out. It does not matter anymore. Um, Spock toughs out some uh, beatings and other shit that happens to him in the episode, but he's, he doesn't do much other than his mind control. McCoy is for some reason defending this captain. Right after hearing about his many, many phaserings of the Yangs. <laughs> I mean, of the Kongs. Uh, uh, Yangs. He phasers the phasers Yangs. He phasers the Yangs. Okay, of the Yangs. I was so baffled. It's By the way, is it confusing at all that Yang just feels like they're, uh, they're saying a Chinese surname or something? And, <laughs> yes. But you're like, oh no, that's, that's the whites. I always whites. remember that as the Mongolian-looking dudes, and that is my own racial memory. Yeah. Um... I couldn't believe McCoy was defending this guy. He's like, well, look, he's out here alone, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, his, crew, his crew's dead, and uh, you know, who wouldn't phaser hundreds of people? <laughs> just like, mm. yep. <laughs> um, I know I would. So that wasn't so good. Um, he also says evil always triumphs over good, unless good is very careful. Um, yeah, he's a pessimist. That's actually in, quite in keeping. Yeah. Um, so he brought it down for me, but I actually really liked Kirk, so that's why it was a four. Okay. Do you have, uh, do you have some quick hitters? I'll try not to step over stuff that we've already talked about a bunch. Um, we got that creepy Star Trek music sting over and over again in the opening teaser. Um, uh, I wish I could describe, I'm not going to do it with my mouth. Um, again, Lieutenant Galloway shows up. That's not good. You knew it was it for that guy. He straight up got vaporized <laughs> later in the episode. It's never good when it's three people and uh, someone yeah. else. Three main dudes and uh, someone else who's not a lady. Because if it's a lady, she'll probably just fall in love with someone and live with them the rest of her life. Right, yeah. She's still leaving the ship. Yeah, she'll leave the ship, but she probably won't get fucking vaporized like this dude did. Um. Again, why are the crew constantly being turned into crystals every day? Um. 
And then was I supposed to laugh out loud at that guy dying at the end of his log entry? Because if so, that's a good question. Mission accomplished if I was supposed to laugh. Uh, Again, this Tracy guy was, he played the doctor in the dagger of the mind. Uh, The weird cinematography when Kirk was trying to undo his binds behind his back. Yep. It looked like it was like a low frame rate or something. Like it was a bad slow-mo. Yeah, it was odd. Yeah. Kirk hits Tracy right before he starts shooting him with a phaser. He hits him and he runs away. Tracy has a phaser. Yep. He can light you up from across the hall. Like, I would figure close quarters is kind of your only option. But nah, he, he hits him and then starts running. And again, they never seem to remember that phasers can do, like, a wide beam effect. We've already seen it. We saw it, I think, in uh, Operation Annihilate. Yeah, and actually, that's what I was going to say earlier when they said he'd killed hundreds of Yangs. I was like, did he wide beam it and get them all at once? Or did he seriously take the time to shoot every one of those fuckers? Just over and over again, and none of them got close enough to put a spear in him. (laughs) Like, no shit, he needed more power packs. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking use that phaser all day. Uh... I know this landing party with Sulu had phasers, and they appeared out of nowhere, but still, those guards were useless. Yeah. They were standing right next to him when they beam in, and they got these big spears, and they don't even try to stop them. They actually just kind of shuffle out of the way. They were about as useful as that Air Force MP that got beamed <laughs> yep. up and just stood there catatonic and ate chicken soup. <laughs> that episode was dumb, too. Wow. <laughs> Matt, they're all dumb. TOS, it turns out, is not a very good show. It's not good at all. I mean, yes. Does it have... Is it tied for the most wins? Yes, it is. Yeah, but it hasn't had one in like has 20 episodes. Has it been episodes. a long time since it won? Yes, it has. Maybe we should say season one of TOS is okay. But yep. the other ones, probably not. Uh, that's all I had. All right. Um, What else you got? I already said the guy looked like Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah, he did uh, too. The plastic katanas are very sad that those guys had. Yeah. Very sad looking plastic katanas. Not unlike the Lurpa and the Unwoon. <laughs> or whatever that big spear was that he, Spock had to pick up um, well, yes. with that Yeti with that Yeti episode. Uh, Galio, was that Galio 7? Galio 7. Oh my yeah. god. Fucking bounced off his back. <laughs> um... Do we need this failed escape attempt? Like, I, mean, I didn't. Do we need the scene where McCoy is horny for the Mongolian lady? Uh, TOS episodes are 10 minutes too long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is always what happens. How did Tracy know Spock was in that Bible? Yeah, really? Like, what if they had a Bible that didn't have any illustrations? Yeah, he would have been fucking shit out of luck, wouldn't he? Like, yeah, does your does your holy book say anything about someone who looks like him? And then the guy would have said, "I don't no. know. It doesn't have an index. I think I think there's another one that has an index, but Hold I don't on, know where let me to get when. the concordance. <laughs> this is a tough one." Uh, and then in theory corner, uh, burned on ex Astra Scientia proposes that the only way the language problems in this episode make sense is if the Yangs aren't really speaking English anymore, and that's why they can't really read. Hmm. The, so the Universal Translator makes it seem like they're speaking English. But then not good? But when they go to read actual English, they can't pronounce it right, and the Universal Translator's like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, it could be anything, really. But again, obviously it's a third rail, and the episode, even if that's the case, still has 900 other issues. Yeah. 
I give best actor to McCoy probably and worst actor to Tracy, who is just wild. <laughs> you know, like his crazy wild eyes and everything. I mean, he's so much worse than uh, grief stricken Matt Decker, right? Uh, yeah, that's true. Another guy who supposedly has been driven crazy by having lost his crew, but who also doesn't have a wild greed angle working. <laughs> yep. <sighs> All right. Well, that wasn't a winner. Oh, um, Ben Quick Hitter, uh, he says some of the close ups are so close, you can see Spock's shaved eyebrows. Yeah, they definitely did not plan this for uh, high resolution. Yeah. All right. We got third place. Two bad ones in the book. What else we got? Yeah, third place in the normal third place spot is Enterprise. So it's really settling in there. Yeah. Um, this week we watched The Zindi. Oh, a little bit, a little bit jazzed up, a little up tempo. It's even worse than the original theme. <laughs> I don't even understand the point. Why even do they it? They made it worse. They're like, hey, people hate this fucking theme song. What if we kept the same? What if we used the exact <laughs> vocal track from the other theme song? We like, put an acoustic we, guitar. And, you know. But we made it jangly pop and put strings in behind it. Yeah. That's what they hated, right? Was the uh, rock aspect of it? That's so stupid. <laughs> it's very dumb. A Council of Monsters discusses the approach of Enterprise. With some suggesting that it should be destroyed. But finally, one monster carries the day and is told to learn all he can about the ship. Cut to Enterprise. Enterprise is approaching a planet based on the information of a freighter captain looking for a Zindi miner to question to find the coordinates for the Zindi homeworld. Right. I forget whether they're there to destroy the Zindi homeworld or talk to them at this point. Um, I'm not sure they know. All I remember I is just- that... They're just going. That very emotional conversation between Trip and Archer where Archer said they would do whatever they needed to. Right. So, yeah, I think they're just going to wing it. So they're heading up to this planet. Hoshi introduces herself to some Makos, so we get to see these guys for the first time, and they're very dumb uniforms. Yeah. It doesn't also doesn't make sense that she's introducing herself to them. They've been on board for six weeks. She just got around to it, you know? There's uh, some kind of weird spatial anomaly in Cargo Bay 2 throwing containers around like there's a plasma fire in there and they had to open the door. Mm -hmm. But um, it seems like something everyone's just used to. It's not even weird to Archer and Trip when they look at it. Will it even matter again in this episode? Uh, Phlox needs T-Pole to help Trip get to sleep by using Vulcan Neuropressure. I was so nervous (laughs) when he said this to her. (laughs) I said... Oh no, that's gonna be sexy. Oh no, it's gonna be sexy. And are you were you right to feel that? We'll check way? in. Okay. We'll check in All on right. it. We'll check in on it. Um She reluctantly agrees to help him. She says it's intimate, and that's when I was like, Oh god, oh god no. Yeah. Reed and Archer take a shuttle pod down to the mine. Uh, and bargain with the foreman, agreeing to trade ha- trade half a liter of liquid platinum. For an introduction to the Zindi Miner. Trip has a nightmare and we see it. <laughs> That's always extra points, right? Mm-hmm. Flox <laughs> okay. reveals that uh, the finger Archer's been given is definitely related to the Zindi corpse, which they have on board, I guess, but seems to be from a different species. It's Zindi, but it's not Zindi. Mm. 
Uh, yeah, because they got some kind of reptile boy, and this one, this finger is not. This guy's not a reptile. <laughs> Archer goes down and meets with this miner, and it turns out he is a prisoner there. And all of the miners are prisoners. And now Archer is a prisoner, and they're going to try to take the crew of Enterprise prisoners, and there are some ships on the way. Right. So this Zindi guy's like, yeah, I'll give you the fucking coordinates, but you have to help me get out of here first. So while the foreman tries to bluff uh, T-Pole by saying Archer's... He's just late. He's just going to be late. He's not trying anything complicated. Right. He's maybe a better liar than most of the people right. on TV. <laughs> uh, but people uh, don't believe it anyway. So she has uh, Reed and the Mako Major come up with a rescue plan. While Archer, Reed, and the Zindi crawl through some sewers mm. that contain the Trellium D that this place mines, I guess. Right. Uh... Anyway, uh, even though Reed doesn't think much of Hayes because he's like, oh, he's a military guy and he's full of himself or whatever. And also, that's my job on this ship. I'm the military guy who's full of himself. He agrees to uh, let him take his men down on a rescue mission instead of uh, Enterprise security. So, But whatever. Reed will lead the mission. Right? Uh, while they're climbing up... Yeah, Reed's going to lead the mission. Yeah. Exactly. While they're climbing up this uh, shaft trying to get out, uh, the Zindi tells Archer that there are five species of Zindi. And that they, there's sort of um, open disagreement about which species is dominant. That must be that Council of Doom that's that, monsters. It's that Council of Monsters we saw earlier. Including yeah. Dolphin Boy or whatever. Yep, there were some green dolphins. There were a couple of Zorax. <laughs> uh, Marshawn will tell you. I'll get into it. I'll get into it later. <laughs> we had kind of, uh, well, I mean, the Zorax are also kind of the Mantis guy <laughs> from down below. We'll talk about that. Um, uh, okay, Marjan will tell you my favorite moment in all of Enterprise, maybe in all of Star Trek, is when that dolphin boy showed up on the screen. <laughs> yep. And I went, this Council of Doom has a dolphin boy! It sure does. And he's like, and it translates it, and you get the subtitles under, and it's like, the humans must die, or whatever. Anyway, this escape attempt doesn't really do anything because they end up having to take cover from uh, some plasma being redirected down the shaft and they end up right back in front of the foreman. Yeah. Uh, that's fine, though, because here come the Makos. They rappel down. They just start icing people left and right. There's Zindi guy. I don't think he even has a name, but it does. he gets shot by guards on the surface and they have to uh, haul his injured body into the shuttle. They get back up to Enterprise and warp out before the warships arrive. Mm. Uh, and Flox isn't able to save the Zindi, but I guess he lives long enough to give Archer the coordinates he was looking for. Yeah. So while they head there, <sighs> Flox sets up a pretext to send Trip to T-Paul's quarters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She asks him for a back rub. <laughs> she takes her shirt off, and there's a lot of side boob, and she makes sex noises she makes a lot of side boob because she's got those ridiculous bolt-ons that just shoot straight out into the galaxy what do they do when they've got those wrinkles that the bad implants get <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah i know and i by the way i hate the body shaming but there's she made a ridiculous choice yeah she should have chosen something else no that's fine i, I don't i don't have anything against jolene blaylock i just i wish we didn't have to see this yep. scene yeah Anyway, then she uses uh, reverse psychology by pretending to be offended that he thinks she's trying to proposition him mm -hmm. into getting him to let her do this massage on him. And so I guess I guess now he's going to be able to sleep, but I bet we're going to see a lot more fucking massage scenes. Yeah. 
Yes, you will. I'm just going to spoil it for you. I yes. can tell. This <laughs> felt like a setup. Yep. Like, this is going to be a thing that we're going to... This is here. Here in season three, Trip and T-Pole are rubbing each other's naked bodies. Fuck. Now I've got faith. <laughs> they get to the planet. Oh, um, still going. <laughs> Uh, the coordinates, I should say. There's no signs of any technology or, in fact, any planets. There's just a huge debris field, which turns out to be the destroyed remains of what Archer assumes was the Zindi homeworld. Right. It seems like it was blown up about 100 years ago. That doesn't make sense to Archer because he thinks the Zindi supposedly sent the probe after him, after Earth, because they're going to. Earth is going to destroy the Zindi homeworld in 400 years, but here's a destroyed Zindi homeworld anyway. Right. So what can they do? Deeper into the expanse. Then we uh, cut to the monster mash one more time. Yep. And they're like, eh, they're never going to find us. Let's not do anything yet. Except for Zorak, who's, who really wants Oh, Zorak wants him dead. Zorak yeah. wants him dead. And for he's sure. like, this, all right, we'll let him go for now. But I swear to God, I'm not even going to wait for you guys next time. I'll do it myself. My own Mantis army or whatever. <laughs> so that's a short description, but that's because this was a goddamn action movie. Yeah, another one. Um... But what would you say this one was about? What was the take for this? I couldn't actually come up with like a, what felt like a premise. Uh, I think I sent, I, I, we talked about this a little bit offline. The general tone of the episode from Archer buying time from a slave and paying off this evil masked foreman to do it. And all the Makos. Right. And the guy had a finger. There was no way that Archer was like, this is a good guy. This yeah, is a good dude. Right. he shows him the finger in the beginning. And all the Makos come in and there's ice in everybody in sight, like you said, and just a way of signaling that the real mission has begun and Archer and, and co are going to have to be a little bit different. So all I had was in extreme circumstances, you must cross lines. You normally wouldn't. Um, for one thing, it's not a Star Trek take at all. It's not, a, that's not a Roddenberry Star Trek take. No, like a Star Trek take would be, especially uh, in extreme circumstances holding on to your principles yes. in extreme times yep. is the true measure. Of <laughs> yeah. And your principles only count if they count during extreme times. Right. I just, I don't think anybody wanted this, um, even right after 9-11 or whatever. People probably wanted to have a nice time when they watch TV. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is not an escape. Yeah, this is like, oh, cool. I got to get, I got to see for my Star Trek's just got to be all dark and murdery. Okay, great. Um, and it's also just kind of a who cares. So for me, it was a two. Yeah. Um... Yeah, similar. So uh, what I wrote here is when you're away from everything you've ever known, you have to rely on each other in new and uncomfortable ways. Oh, that's about the sex thing, isn't it? Well, that's part of it. Okay. You know, I like to tie different plots together. Sure. I like to forget uh, that one happened. Reed has to come to terms with these Makos on board. He has to he has to rely on them to save the captain. He doesn't want to. He doesn't like anything. Sure, sure, sure. Also the sex. Also the sex But thing. also... The 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 sex thing is uh is not just Trip relying on T pole, but it's also Phlox relying on T pole. Like he puts her in a situation. Yeah, and he just gives up confidential medical information. I guess you don't have that in the military. Yeah, guess I there's guess no not, confidential huh? fucking information. He's just like, Hey, uh, Trip's having some issues, I want you to go sex him good. Uh as a take, I don't care one way or the other. It's fine. But it's not uh, real. It's not applicable to real life situations. Like most not of the time, general. you're not you're not in extreme circumstances where you 
might have to rely on people to be to do something that you're not comfortable with. Or I guess even, it'd be nice. It'd be nice to think that the people in your life could be counted on in that scenario, but that's not the take. Yeah, I wonder if I could count on anybody like that though. To give me sex so massages. Give you a sex massage? I don't know. I'm not sure I know anybody who'd be able to do that for me. I don't know. I hope it, I would just, I'll just not sleep. <laughs> I already don't sleep. You know what? I already don't I'm just sleep. Saying, uh, I would still prefer the drugs. Can we still do the drugs? I'm an insomniac and I'm just used to it. I'm not worried about it. Uh, I give it a four. Okay. Uh, ben had it at a one. When in doubt, shoot it out. I think he should give himself points for rhyming it. Yeah, Ben gets eight <laughs> well, points. It's probably it's a two point take, but he's taking one of them for himself for that. He rhyme. deserves it. Uh, he says, really, just introducing some new data about their adversary and uh, some stuff about the Marines <clears throat> on board. Uh, he has a three for execution. Uh, he says, uh, good intro with the Council of presumably Zindi. Disagree. <laughs> with many different aliens, he appreciates the effort with the bug dudes and the manatee things. <laughs> Dolphin boy is what I call it. <laughs> Uh, he says, fine action, it's a shooter. Somehow the end sort of reminded him of the Doom movie. Uh, I saw that movie in the theater. I did not enjoy it. Anyway, he gave it a three for execution. Uh, but what about uh, what about you? Uh, I hate the new theme. Sure. I very much hate the Council of Monsters framing device. It was just like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. It, so, again, it is exactly like a Hanna-Barbera c- cartoon. In the Adult Swim <clears throat> series Metalocalypse, mm-hmm. every episode begins and ends with a council of weird uh, Illuminati types mm-hmm. talking about their, how they're keeping an they're keeping an eye on these Metalocalypse on the what's the name of the man Death Clock on these yeah. Death Clock guys. But we're not going to do anything for now. We're just going to keep watching. It's every episode is, is like that. It's the world's oldest and so therefore most hack uh, uh, cartoon or comic book framing device. It's incredibly hack. And then the everything in that scene, I think there's like one guy in a costume and everything else is fucking pure CG. (laughs) And it is all sub Watto level. (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's so dumb. It's extremely dumb. Um, I didn't think this spatial anomaly in the cargo bay was doing any story work. I, I knew right away that I was going to hate the Vulcan neuropressure idea. Yeah, yeah. So that sucks. But the dumb action story, I think, actually mostly worked. And so even with the two-point deduction for showing me a nightmare, which is just a nightmare in this case, yeah, it's not... At least it wasn't a sex dream. Yeah, that's true. Still two. That's a two. Yeah. Uh, and that's what the total ends up being. I'm giving it two points for execution. Could have been a four if you didn't show me that nightmare. You could, we know, I know Trip's having nightmares. You could show him wake up from a nightmare. Yeah, and I do. I don't need to see his, I don't need to see him as a kid and his sister as a kid. And then they're both adults. And then the (laughs) fucking huge firestorm comes and eats her. (laughs) It was a bad dream sequence too. It was very cheesy. Um, I don't have an automatic deduction for that. I just try to keep it He's going to be shouting at a guy later and like he's going to want to push him into a fucking plasma stream. I know that he's tormented by what happened to his sister. I don't need to see the dream. Yeah. It's just it's so hack. This this episode was very hack. Uh, okay. And considering that this is the first episode of the new direction of Enterprise, it's very worrying. I guess I will say it was paced okay. Some of the action's gratuitous, but there are some neat details about 
the Expanse and the Zindi and some of the other people that we find in this part of the this part of space. Uh, and they actually did follow through on some stuff they brought up in the season two finale, like the Makos and Teepole not being a Vulcan officer anymore, and you know because she's got new cat suits. Um, she's got a couple of different ones, and they're different colors. Yeah, but they're both plunging, very plunging necklines on those. Oh, that's okay. We're going to see most of her actual boobs in this episode. Doesn't matter how plunging they are. But everything else having to do with Teepole was gross, and the male characters are all moody little children, and. All of the other things that you already mentioned. Uh, for me, it was a four because I did think it worked on an action level. Yeah, well, that was my score before the deduction. Yeah. Uh, let's see. They got a, a for world building. They got a, a crazy new room that they use for the expanse for some reason. I don't know. It's got like OLED TVs and stuff. Okay. It's not necessary. I don't know what it is. New command center. Uh, that. What does she she says the Makos are from the Tactical Assault Command? What does she say? I have Military Assault Command, and that's go. what Mako stands for. Military Assault Command, uh, this gravitational anomaly that exists entirely within the cargo bay, even though they're tra- <laughs> like the Aurora Borealis. <laughs> even though they're traveling. So, like, why does it? Anyway. It's, listen, the expanse is wild. Anything goes here. Vulcan Neuropressure, which for some reason is a very intimate act. It's just a it's just a back rub, by the way. It did not have to be intimate. He was already touching the parts where he needed to touch her before she took her shirt off. Oh, yep. Uh, trellium mines with slave labor. Liquid platinum is what this guy would ideally like to be compensated with. There's five kinds of Zindi, so some kind of parallel sentient evolution occurred on that planet. The only reason it gets the standard three from me is that the Zindi are obviously sticking around. Yeah. So the stuff we learned in this episode matters about them. We just didn't learn enough definitive stuff outside that there are a bunch of different kinds of Zindi. Like, we didn't really learn what happened to their planet and why, or any more necessarily about their motivations, even though we got to see them in their private council twice. So for me, it's a three. Yep. And it's a three for me, too. And not only that, but the only thing I have that wasn't on your list was we learned a little bit about starship materials, but I don't think it matters. Yeah. It's wild that uh, what they used to insulate the starship is important. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying there wouldn't be any insulation, although I think a ship in space would actually have trouble shedding heat fast enough. That's the problem with our current ships. Yeah. Uh, I guess a standard three. Uh, Ben's, again, all the way up to a six. Space Marines wear space camouflage, apparently, and it's awful. I agreed. I thought their uh, camouflage was terrible. Yeah. Yeah, he was all in on the new stuff for season three. New command center. uh, Enterprises faster than these random aliens in the Expanse. Um, Yeah. He's a five for characterization. Uh, he likes the little quip when Archer asks if there are any volatile materials in the crates that are being all banged around, and Trip says, "I wouldn't known by I would have known by now because they're banging all around, etc." That's true, but that's uh, he's he's pretty good on he's pretty happy with Trip in this one. Trip gives the best uh, deliveries on the show often. Um, yeah. Also, that's exactly the kind of line I would give because I would not know what is in those containers. <laughs> well, he's the engineer; he's not the quartermaster, right? I mean, it's not his job, so he's just like, uh, I don't know. I guess we would have found out. Um, uh, T-Paul's got a new cat suit. 
reads he got a fragile ego, etc. God, yeah, he does. Why can't they let T Paul be anything but a sexy robot? He says in an episode, he gives a five for characterization. <laughs> uh, I gave it only three. Okay. So, um, Trip feels way out of control for what must now be half a year after his sister's death. He was pretty close to his sister, I guess. Like, Damn. it's not that he's not still feeling it, but he has no control yeah. right now. Um, Archer also seems way gun happy. Like, when they roll up, up on what he thinks is the Zindi home planet at the end, and he, it's like guns blazing. Yeah. He's going to maybe shoot first. He's just going to shoot the planet a bunch. <laughs> yeah. See what happens. Uh... Reed hates this military guy because he's from a military family and he knows the type, but it's like, the guy didn't seem like that much of a blowhard. Honestly, he seemed fine. Yeah. Uh, and then I thought T-Pole's manipulation of Trip at the end was pretty skilled, but it was a real shame the actress couldn't pull it off. I have never uh, thought much of Jolene Blaylock on this show. So it's a three for me. Where are you on characterization here? I will do you one worse. It is a two. Um, I see. Archer is a real pissy dude again. We haven't had many episodes where that's not been true. Uh, very impatient. Straight up wakes up this Zindo like uh, an hour early, which is rude. Remember the guy's like, uh, his, mm-hmm. his they're going to come on duty in an hour. And he's like, well, I need to talk to him now. And I was like, that guy's trying to sleep. Yeah, but on the other hand, that lie was to get an hour for those ships to show up and capture the crew. So That's true. Also, that wasn't real, but also I, Archer didn't know that. I typed Zindo by accident, but now I like it. Yeah. Um, well, well, no, one Zindo, multiple Zindi. <laughs> right. It's just like Graffito. Uh, again, they gave T-Pole the new cat suit because obviously um, make that two new cat suits. Yeah, I don't know why she couldn't just wear her old Vulcan one, but without the rank insignia. So either she doesn't know that wearing that tiny pajama outfit and then asking him if he can help stimulate her nerves and then taking off her shirt and shit and saying harder and harder and making a mild O face is going to be construed as a sex thing. Or when she's intentional manipulation or when she told Phlox it is intimate, she specifically meant it was a sex act. (laughs) Yeah, because it seemed pretty intentional. Um. Hoshi made nice with the Makos. Flock's just out here talking to T-Pole about Trip's medical shit. Um, Trip's dream sequence about an event he didn't witness. He needs sleeping meds or Vulcan sex treatments as a result. I like Trip's acting when he got caught making innuendo in T-Pole's quarters. And he went, no, 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 no. (laughs) That's not what I meant. Yep. But then he gets all pissy, too, about being set up for happy sex times with T-Bolt on. Um, <laughs> it's very sad. Reed again, for the third time, super pissy about these Makos, because what we needed was one more infant. So it's a it's a fat two from me. So, uh, top, uh, sorry, the bottom three episodes this week, uh, look like likely to continue to be the bottom three <laughs> well, they just real low scores across the board they but score maybe bad. you have some quick hitters uh let's see uh <clears throat> i really only had one about dolphin boy when dolphin boy shows up i still go what what the <laughs> nicholas this changes everything you want to declare de Lune to play right at the beginning 
Uh, and also that Zindi slave was one of the drugged out dudes from Symbiosis. Uh, oh, he sure was. That's what, that's what he looked like. Not the curly haired blonde fuck, but the... No, no, uh, no. The tall, the tall, the hasty, the the tall tall hasty. The tall hasty one. The guy with the overalls, who was literally wearing overalls. (laughs) Yes. The guy from the Come On Eileen. To be fair, they were space overalls. Yeah. (laughs) That's all I had. That was it. Um... Ben wonders why the phaser rifles uh, are semi-automatic rather than machine gun-like. It's an interesting question. Yeah. I have a few, and um, <clears throat> I think these are stream of consciousness, so uh, bear with me. Okay. The new version of the theme song is even worse. Uh, what room are we in? No, really, Malcolm. I'm going to explain it all to you exposition <laughs> style. Um. If it turns out that latinum is just liquid platinum, I'm going to take two shits and die. <laughs> when the guy was like, I like liquid platinum, I was like, oh, no. This is what we're doing. Oh, oh God, please don't say you're going to have to put it in gold for stability or something. One too many people asked, what is latinum or whatever? Right. Ugh. T-Paul's got some new jumpsuits. Uh, the mine foreman is uh, Macaulay Culkin at his low point, I think. <laughs> he does look like that. Yeah. When he was most cracked out. Vulcans train their bodies to make their own medicines. Do they also eat a lot of turmeric? Because that sounded yep. pretty pseudoscientific. She needs a tea pole. to be rubbed in just the right way to release all the toxins or whatever. Yeah. 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 I give best actor in this episode to Archer, which tells you it wasn't a strong field. Mm. And worst actor to our friend T-Pole. Sure. Second place last week was Deep Space Nine. Woo! By only a point. <clears throat> DS9 put in a fairly good episode last week and just got edged out. This week we watched Civil Defense. You know, I never thought I'd feel this way, but finally, a, a quality program we can talk about. <laughs> I can't believe it, but like now when it's time to watch DS9, I go, oh, thank God. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about it after <clears throat> you do the, the wrap up. This is, uh, but this is an episode that I think didn't have like a real strong premise. No, we'll get but, into it. Uh, but still, still a lot more fun to watch, huh? Uh, O'Brien and Jake are hanging out and talking shop like good tool boys while w- trying to purge some Cardassian files from the main computer. Uh, uh, Big Cisco walks in to complain that it's Jake's dinner hour and Jake says they're almost done, just one tricky file he's having trouble deleting. When O'Brien attempts to isolate it, an automated counterinsurgency program created by the Cardassians from the old Terok Nor days activates. It features a message from Gul Dukat telling the Bajoran workers to surrender immediately or face the consequences. Because, I guess, they made the computer think that it's a Bajoran uprising. As functions all over the station begin to lock down, the crew is separated into the following groups. Cisco, Lil Cisco, and O'Brien are in the ore processing center. Mm-hmm. Dax, Kira, and Bashir are in ops. And Quark has joined Odo in the security office. Bottle episode time, but in three separate locations. Yeah. But all well... Est- well, no, one of them is a new set. It's not even a good bottle episode. I guess that's true, because they spent money on a new set. Yeah, they had to build the ore process. Well, did Still they a have bottle it from, episode, but to from the, the purpose. Mirror? Did they, ha- they had it from the mirror episode, didn't they? 
Maybe they kept it around, yeah. Or they probably kept the set from the mirror. Easy episode. to put it back together, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as Odo and the Kira Dax team begin to work on a way to shut down the program, the warnings in the ore process- processing center become more dire, threatening death to the supposed saboteurs. Cisco's attempt to convince the program that they're surrendering only serves to buy time for Jake to wiggle up a pipe and open a door for them to escape, just as poisonous gas pours into the room. <clears throat> They eventually find themselves in a loading area where O'Brien begins to work on another way out. Meanwhile, Dax thinks she's close to shutting down the program in ops, but oh, it detects her attempt and burns her hand super bad, and uh, then announces that the program will now proceed to fucking level two. Yep. <clears throat> That's probably the last level we'll hear about, right? Yeah. More gas is promised, but... For the whole habitat ring this, this time. Yes, this time in the habitat ring. It's then that Garrick shows up to save the day. His codes get him into ops, but he can't actually shut down the program. Um, They come up with a plan to destroy the life support system to avoid the gas, which will let them live about 12 hours longer until they all either freeze or suffocate to death. Once done, the program moves up another level to three, because I guess it doesn't like it when you shoot stuff. Yep. Ducat comes on the PA and says, Whoops, we failed to stop the revolt. Good news, though, the station will self-destruct in two hours. So, you're not dying for nothing. I guess the two hours are to give the Cardassians on the station time to evacuate, presumably. Yeah. Cut to Odo and Quark, uh, who is trying to phaser his way out. Quark complains all about his lot in life and is comforted by Odo, because they're good buddies. Back on Ops, Garrick and Dax come up with a plan to try to fool the system into thinking Garrick is Gul Dukat. Unfortunately, each time they think they've made progress, the system kicks up a notch. This time, it's up to level 4. And it replicates a fucking phaser vase or something and starts blasting people in Ops (laughs) to death. It cold vaporizes a guy. Dukat actually shows up in the flesh after receiving an automated distress signal from himself. He uses the situation as leverage for an impromptu negotiation, and Garrick, realizing Cardassians aren't targeted by the phasers, stands up to have a shit-throwing contest with Dukat, because this is definitely the time for that. Dukat and Kira have a chat in Sisko's office. He says he's going to bring some Cardi troops and reestablish a presence on the station. Kira makes it clear she'll blow the place first. Uh, Dukat tries to leave, but when he asks to beam out, another automated program begins. Turns out the other Cardassians didn't trust him, so this is interpreted as his attempt to flee his post during the uprising, and he's going to be trapped with the rest of the DS9 crew, so double cross. While they try to figure out a way to kill the force fields and shut down the self-destruct sequence, the action shifts back to O'Brien and the two Ciscos, who blow a hole in the wall with some old ore and a sparky tube that they pulled out of the wall. Back on Ops, Garrick makes Ducat blush because he he blows up his spot and tells him he's got a thing for Kira. They do some techno babble about overloading the power grid. They succeed, and the now free Cisco and O'Brien, because all the force fields have shut down, uh, head off to go to the main reactor to do a thing so that the station doesn't blow up. Odo discovers that his force field was controlled separately from the rest, and he remains trapped with Quark. O'Brien and Sisko run into some green fire in a tube, which slows their advance, but uh, Sisko gets around an injured O'Brien and gets to the console they're looking for on time. Some lightning shoots out from all over the station, but I guess that means they did a good job and everybody's safe. 
Then we get a jolly walk and talk from uh, best friends Odo and Quark, and that's it. Even though Ducat is still there, and he's responsible for all of this <laughs> shit, and even though people died here today, and even though the entire station's broken and they need to fix that life support system right quick, and both Dax and O'Brien are now injured, so who's going to fix it? Um, what was this episode about? It's tough. Here's what I have. Okay. There are no safe spaces in a system built on mistrust. Right. Odo finds himself locked in his office. Gull finds out. Guldukat finds out his uh, command. I'm just gonna call him Gull from now on. <laughs> Guldukat finds out his command of DS9 wasn't as total as he thought. No one comes right out and says the Cardassian system is bad, or that you did the paranoia is bad, or people don't trust each other is bad. But I think that's probably the best takeaway here. Um, it's not a revolutionary one, and it's not a Star Trek-y one. It's only worth four points for me. Uh, I had a version of that. I have paranoia and distrust create a vicious cycle. So it's... They do... At least they do mention out loud that Ducat was known for his paranoia. He was infamous. And they definitely did not trust him since they put in all this other shit. So it was kind of (sighs) like... His paranoia actually created conspiracies against him, which probably kept feeding his paranoia, which kept creating conspiracies and so on and so on. This particular example sees him end up trapped with the DS9 crew. But our general feeling about Ducat based on the first few seasons is that he didn't trust anybody and nobody trusted him. And it's all just one scheme after another. That's how Cardassia works. Like, every time we see these dudes, it's the Obsidian Order doesn't trust the Central Command. The Central Command doesn't trust the Obsidian Order. Everyone's maneuvering against everybody at all times. Yeah. Um, So while I feel like it's uh, good management or teamwork advice, (laughs) if you're you're, like going to be a paranoid weirdo, you're probably going to have a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, That's only enough uh, for a six for me. And probably only because I was proud that I came up with something. Sometimes that's, uh, <laughs> sometimes you like your own take. Well, you know, uh, Ben, again, I think Ben should have given more points last time because he should have been proud of that rhyming he did. So. Yeah. Uh, this time, by the way, Ben's take is desperate times bring out the best in people. Hmm. Garrick and Ducat collaborating to fix the issue, I guess, kind of at the end. Jake saves O'Brien's life and is brave even before that. Odo and Quark do their mutual admirations. Odo and Quark are just friends. They're just friends. Yeah, they can just say it. They can just talk out loud about how they're best friends. Yeah. Uh, What did you think of execution? Well, they obviously didn't dig deep enough into my take. It's sort of what I deduced from the plot devices used, so it's hard to execute on it a ton. Um, The jolly ending really ruins this for me. People fucking died up there. Yeah. And the guy responsible is hanging out. He's just there. They got him in ops. So, like, can we see what else happened? Why is it over? Why is the episode over? Yeah. Um. He came there to exploit the situation yes. and tried to put a garrison there. I can't imagine that's going to go unanswered, but uh, I guess we'll never know. I mean, it was clear from the beginning this was going to be a bottle episode, but the kind, like, disaster where they right. group a few characters together in each location and watch how they deal with the problem. Right. I guess I should say that I I like that. I I like seeing a couple people pair off and uh and do their own thing and especially if it's maybe people who aren't usually paired off. I don't know if we saw any of that today. Um boy, not really. 
Uh, in fact, if you were going to say who's going to be the third person in a room with uh, Jake and Cisco, the answer is O'Brien. Obviously. O'Brien is He's Jake's always in boss, their business. And uh, also he is Cisco's dad confidant. Mm-hmm. And Jake's girlfriend confidant. And Jake's girlfriend confidant. Right. So and obviously Odo and Quark together. are best friends. Right. And then who do you and got then, left? Yeah. <laughs> Bashir and, and all the rest, basically. Bashir has to show up on ops for, for reasons and then get trapped there. Yeah, that's how it works. And then once Bashir's there, that's where Garrick belongs. That's so right. what are you going to do? He's going to go straight to wherever Bashir is. Dax followed Kira. Bashir followed Dax. Garrick followed Bashir. There you go. Dukat showed up for Garrick. So that's so. the... I, it would have been better if they had maybe found some new combinations or something. Or maybe it would have yep. sucked. Who knows? Um... <sighs> Why would the program kill the communications? Wouldn't the Cardassians want to call for help? I mean, it's not like the Bajorans could call for reinforcements. What reinforcements? They didn't even have, like, an army or a battle strategy. It's a good point. Um, and then I say again, why would the Cardis need to destroy the station? Why the auto-destruct? Couldn't they just send a hundred troops to retake it? Yeah, you would think so. Uh, I was confused by some of the stuff that happened there. Um, uh, they could reinforce from Bajor. That's what I'm saying. Like, Bajor didn't have the ability to do anything, and the Cardassians had a huge fleet of ships and a huge garrison. So, like, if ba- if if DS9 had been temporarily conquered, they could just go and take it back. Anyway. Um, for me, it was a three in execution. So... Uh, the problem with uh, my take, and I guess to a lesser extent both of your takes, is that there's nobody in the episode to advocate that the paranoia is good at all. <laughs> yes, man. No one's taking that side of the argument. Um, so in terms of just general execution, uh, obviously Dukat and Garrick sniping at each other is a good look. Yeah. But Quark and Odo did nothing. True. There's no advancement in their story in this. And also, when you put Jake and Cisco and O'Brien together after all of the things we learned about Jake last week, right? It's weird that it doesn't come up at all. That there's no conversation about whether Jake really wants to be an engineer. Mm. I was sure that Cisco, at the end, when O'Brien was incapacitated, would need Jake to talk him through the shutdown. I procedure. thought that I thought Jake was going to crawl through the tube and help. Because at first, right. Cisco calls for O'Brien when he's through there. And then he'd like be he like, needs oh, his help. I, I recognize the value of working with O'Brien. No, nope. nah, Cisco just knows how to do it. None of that matters. Yeah, so then, like, why so, was he calling for O'Brien? Just to see if he was okay? There's uh, missed oppor- let's say missed opportunity there to yeah. show some growth in, in those relationships. Also, for no reason, Cisco devises a new plan to deal with the reactor at the last minute. Yeah. Like, they have a plan. They're just going to shut down the reactor. Right. They get down there, and Cisco's like, what if we... Hey, Chief, did you make the shields better? And he says yes. <laughs> and then he says, what if we diverted the reactor energy into the shields? And O'Brien's like, that could work. Why? <laughs> Why do we need... What's the purpose of that? Yeah, I don't know. Why not do the plan? <laughs> Nothing that you do on screen and no dialogue has to change if you just do the plan. This is a needless complication. That is true. And by the way... Uh, this I, ended that, up being... By the way, I didn't even notice... I thought I misunderstood the first time. Because the plan changes, I initially had it as shut down the reactor, but I didn't notice when the plan changed. I went, oh, I guess earlier I wrote it down wrong. I guess they weren't going to turn off the reactor. Oh, no. Cisco just pr- proposes yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. What did I write at that at that point? So 
uh, here's where I have it. In my summary, it says they asked Dukat how the self-destruct is supposed to go down, and they figure out a way to maybe disengage the fusion reactor if they can get the force field down. Okay, right. so they do that. Uh, they contact Cisco and tell him to uh, to disable the reactor. For no reason, Cisco proposes an alternate plan to direct the energy of the fusion explosion mm-hmm. into the shields. So rather than disengage the reactor, he's going to let it blow up, but <laughs> put the energy in the shields. That's the plan that he does. It's a terrible plan. <laughs> Blowing um, it up sounds like a much worse plan than turning it off. Yeah. Uh, this episode ends up being kind of middle of the road, but it actually mostly works. I gave it as many as five. Like, it's a dumb action episode, but at least it's it's fine. Yeah. Dukat uh-huh. showed up. Dukat and Garrick sniped, and we then there's some hint about maybe Garrick t- uh, betrayed Dukat's father. Uh, there's some the, stuff that gets dropped to the central command. My or characterization like that. score is higher than my execution score. Right. Yeah. Um, ben, by the way, gave it a three on execution. He says incremental yeah. timers along the way keep it interesting. He likes Garrick trying to help and extending the time a little bit. Um, obviously, um, everybody comes through it okay. The exploding rocks thing was dumb. A couple of good moments, but overall lacked focus and even a resolution. Yes, it did. The the ending is very weak. It's for sure weak. Uh, World building. Yeah. Uh, We learn that we learn a little bit about how things used to be on Deep Space Nine. And that's kind of about it. Yeah. Like it used to Hey, they used to process 20,000 tons a day of uridium ore. Right. All right. Here. The Cardassians have nine levels of security, and Odo has level six. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's not, there's not a lot of world building. I gave it two points. I thought this was less than the regular disinterested amount of world building. Uh, ben gave it a two. He said, it's clear that even if the Cardis are less technologically powerful, they're way smarter than most of the Starfleet folks, based on, I guess, the stuff in this episode. Um, I had it as a two as well. But I have questions a lot, too. Um, why is the ore processing center for Bajor in orbit? Wouldn't it have been more cost-effective to just do it on the planet? And only ship the finished raw ma- the finished materials to orbit? Yeah, like 20,000 yeah. tons of ore per day at its peak. Great, but like, I don't know, do it on the planet. Um, automated security program for dealing with the Bajoran uprising. Odo says his Cardassian security codes are still valid, but like, why? Why are they still valid? Is it because yeah. the system on DS9 never got updated? Because they left? You know, weirdly, we know they're still valid because that's why he was able to speak or go go visit O'Brien for his trial. Ah, that's right. Like, the Cardassians apparently, despite their weird paranoia, aren't good at revoking access codes. Garrick always <laughs> seems to have access codes when he needs them to. Yep. Um, that doesn't make any sense. Like, when... Uh, when someone quits at work, oh, yeah. their access is revoked instantly. Supposed to be. Unless somebody does a fuck up. Yeah, I always assume in the Garrett case, his weird spy network has got him new codes, but I don't... And that's probably the explanation that makes the most sense, but like, but for Odo, clearly, yeah. Uh, if the life support fails, they estimate about 12 hours of air or warmth or whatever before people start dying. Um, yeah, it was just a two for me. Uh, Uridium's very unstable. I don't know if I said that. Maybe that's why they process it in orbit. Because they don't want to have a planet blow up. They don't yeah. plan if that station blows. Yeah, they they want they have big bigger plans for Bajor than blowing it up. 
Okay. What do you feel characterization wise? I'll say right at the top that uh, Ben thought it was pretty good. He gave it a six. He likes Skull Ducat. He likes yeah. that he's trying to take advantage of this situation. He's extremely Ducat. You know, it's almost all about Gul Ducat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, he's not wrong. I gave it a six as well. Okay. Uh, let's start uh, at the beginning. Whenever O'Brien makes a whoopsie, I try to remember that as a former tactical officer and transporter chief, he's probably woefully unqualified for this operations, but really chief engineer job. Yeah. Um, he seems pretty chill getting away from that gas as it's released. Just kind of slowly <laughs> climbs take out. take his time. Like it's harmless steam. Uh, I was glad it wasn't Jake's fault that that program went online. Because then he'd for sure quit that job. Uh, that's true. Today I fucking got someone killed in Hobbs. <laughs> like, yeah. Is O'Brien going to care about that, you think? I don't know. The guy who had a red shirt, O'Brien probably only knows him a little bit. I mean, he was in Ops. There aren't that many Starfleet people here. Um... Jake may be skinnier than these other dudes, but he's also taller, and is probably starting to get kind of a big frame. I'm not sure I would have sent him into that pipe. Well, he was sure he could do it. Uh, he insists on staying with his nice dad when they make a play for the reactor shutdown, and even though they're all about to die, he risks his butt to save an injured O'Brien. Um, I enjoy all the Ducat bluster on this old program that he recorded. <laughs> Do you suppose Ducat thought it was possible um, that this would happen someday? That it would go off on this Starfleet station? Because Starfleet engineers seem to enjoy a pretty good reputation in this part of the galaxy, so I would think he would assume it would be removed without issue. Yeah. But do you suppose he's been waiting for this? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Listen... We don't know anything about what Gul Dukat's up to these days. It's true. Is he still the commander of the Second Order? Uh, his ship was nearby on patrol? Like his personal ship? Yeah. Did, was he hurt in any way by the scandal about war orphans? Did that, <clears throat> did that ever make it back home? That he was right. trying to set up that? Wasn't he behind some kind of scheme? Listen, that was, that was a triple, double, triple cross episode, so it's not clear what was really happening. But yeah, I remember something about that. Uh, anyway, he's hella paranoid, and he made this program crazy hard to shut down, even for Garrick. Ducat is so fucking smug when he shows up, which is always fun. But especially with phasers going off everywhere. Oh, yeah. He's standing in front of the replicator while the thing shoots around he him. He orders it's a something from the replicator. and He then... orders tea, and the repl- the thing disappears from the replicator. The tea comes back, and then the thing comes back after he takes the tea <laughs> yeah. out. It's pretty good. That's a pretty good bit of business up there. Uh, he seems to especially enjoy Garrick groveling. Uh, and the way he tosses Cisco's baseball with all that disdain. He flicks it off with, like, one finger. <laughs> just, like, rolls it off his desk. Yeah. It's supposed to be a really fun character to play. Um, yeah, I think of the people on this show, you'd want to be a Ducat or a Garrick. Yeah. Uh, Quark says shapeshifter, and then corrects himself and says changeling. But I thought that was the insulting one. Did that change when Odo met his homies and they said they'd reappropriated that term and made it their own or whatever? I think so. Okay, because I thought that was the insulting one. Was changeling. Um... Quark's family are all successful business people, especially Gala, who famously owns a moon. Um, Small moon, but it's enough to live on. Odo comforts him because they've been best friends all along. 
Turns out Odo wasn't trusted by the Cardis because he has his own force field and is, he can't, it's separate from the rest of the system or whatever. And he is also comforted by Quark. Um, Garrick's past with Goldicott comes back again when he said um, he was never trusted enough to have priority access to the station systems. And also maybe he betrayed Ducat's father somehow. I want to know more. Yeah. <laughs> I really want to know a lot more. Yep. I want to know everything. Yeah, but yes, Goldicott thinks his father shouldn't have trusted Garrick, mm-hmm. and then uh, Garrick says that his problem was talks that, about his father's trial. Yeah, about how he uh, told everyone at the trial that he his what did he say is his loyalty didn't match his ambition or his amb- whatever. I don't know um, something like that. But of course, it would have been a show trial anyway, so who knows? Right. Uh, again, Garrick blows up Ducat's spot about having a thing for Kira, and Ducat looks pretty embarrassed, so I guess now that's true in-universe? Yep, that's in canon now, I guess. Okay. Uh, Bashir is smitten uh, by Garrick, still, so mission accomplished there. Kira gets her moment with Ducat and explains that she'll blow the station before she gives it back to him. Otherwise, she just she doesn't do much. She kind of runs around ops trying not to get killed. Um... No, this is a kind of a real Starfleet problem with computers and stuff. She's and gonna let she's, them take care of it. She is a little bit out of her depth here. Yeah. When when it's when it's time to shoot the life support system, she's all in. She but. grabs her phaser, and when it's time to yell at Ducat, she's all in. Yep. Yeah, it was a six for me. I thought it was enjoyable because of the Cardassian characters, especially. Uh, I'm not there. I only gave it four. Okay. So again, I wanted more about Jake working with O'Brien. Especially after last week. Uh, I wanted Cisco and Ops to spar with Ducat himself. Although putting Garrick and Kira there is almost as good. Yeah. It's just like, Cisco is not the captain in this episode. Yeah. He's, the, he's, he's a dad in this one, and that's about it. I wonder if Cisco behind the scenes went, do I have to be an Ops in this episode? Can't me and Jaco go do something? Right, exactly. And also, I didn't think the Quark Odo stuff did anything. So. No, it's bad. They're just kind of friends now. Is the deal? Yeah, just straight and, friends. Not even like maybe yeah. it's just they might have something going on. Like no, no, they are friends. And it's just like you can't walk that back. And so unless the episode is going to be about their friendship, it's kind of like I don't need to see them interact anymore most of the time. I agree. So <laughs> it was a four for me. Um, ben didn't write any quick hitters for this one, but I have some. Do it. I thought it was weird that Ducat recorded all those messages personally. Like, was it a slow day for him? Oh, this seems he's like he's talking for forty minutes. This seems like the kind of thing that he would enjoy very much. This particular interactive VCR board game. This is what he likes. I guess so. You, um, the one who is moving now. When Quark said he. What did he have to show for it? One measly bar. I almost flipped my shit because I thought he meant he only had one bar of latinum. <laughs> and you're like, until what I is remembered it? that he owned a bar and I was gonna lose it. <laughs> anyway, that's not what he meant. You're like, how much is a bar of latinum? Odo seems to know a lot of Ferengis. Yeah. Why is that? I guess they've been passing through this station or something. How is it possible that the the humans didn't never met the Ferengis until? Mm. Season? Six years ago? Yeah, season one of TNG, yeah. Um, but Odo sure knows a lot of them. Yeah, I guess they out here in this part of space. Who knows? I wish that someone had said, even as a throwaway, the name of whichever Cardassian that was who won up to Ducat. 
in the recording. I know. I would have loved to know it was old Leggett Parn that got him or whatever. <laughs> or even if it was like an you know, like Yellow set. If or it something, was like a Glynn. If it was Gullivec or some Glynn. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah. I would have loved to know who got him. Yeah. That would have been good. Just to know that Ducat had another enemy out there. Uh, why does Cisco need another plan for the reactor? What purpose does that serve? And then I was sure that we'd need Jake to shut down the thing, right? Yeah. Whatever. I gave best actor to Garrick and uh, worst actor in this one to Dax. Not a surprise. Burned hands Dax, specifically, like Harry Kim. She can't play tired or injured. Yeah, and she was such a baby about it. Like, I know your hands hurt and everything, but aren't you supposed to be some kind of 300-year-old whatever? She's just like... Uh, also, everyone's going reaching, to die. I was reaching for it, and it burned my hands, and they hurt. It's like, yeah. what's happening? Was not a strong performance. Ugh. Um, we've already Give mentioned, them to me. we've mentioned basically all of them at this point. The only one I have is Odo deduces that the Cardis didn't trust him, and that's why he has a separate force field. But maybe also it could have been to keep the prisoners in. Could have been for that. Also, maybe it was just like built later, and so it was connected up weird. <laughs> like he seems so sure of the answer, and I think it's his huge ego. Because like, oh, it could be. Not everything's about you. Like, don't take it so personally. It's this system is not connected to the others. There could be any number of reasons why. Also, his deeply ingrained feelings of otherness. Yeah, it's just like, damn. No one trusts. I don't look like them, and no one trusts me. And do Quark? Everyone hates my melt face. <laughs> and Quark tries to comfort him by being like, "Oh, it's because you're so honorable, so they knew they couldn't trust you because they were bad guys or whatever." But it's like he could have just said, "What? We don't know why they. Why? I don't know." It's just a system. It's the system set up that way. Don't or, or maybe because it's a jail. Don't. Maybe they have redundant force fields around the jail. <laughs> Could be any number of reasons, really. Just to try to calm down. Uh, that's all I had. <clears throat> well, we're making good progress. One but, more. Um, but we always talk a lot about TNG. And uh, this week may be no exception. We watched The Bonding. Worf is in charge of an away team uh, leading some kind of archaeological dig of Koinonian artifacts. Koinonian? Koinonian. Koinonian. Koinonian, yes. Koinonian or Koinonian? I have Koinonian. Koinonian Koinonian artifacts. It's very difficult to say. When uh, they trip a booby trap. This all happens, by the way, off screen where we get to see some dumb banter on the bridge. Um... And one member of the away team, Marla Astor, is killed. Uh, Picard and Troy go to inform her kid, Jeremy Astor, about his mother's death, leaving Worf to fall into his own little pit of despair. Uh, The child tells Picard that he's all alone now, because he needs to say the obvious plot things. Yeah. Uh, Riker has conversations with Wesley on the bridge and Data in 10 forward about the nature of death and Jordy returns from a f- follow-up away mission with five mines like the kind that killed Marla Astor saying it was pretty clear they had just recently been dug up and left there to find. Uh, Worf tells Troy he plans to bond with the child but it's unclear what that means. Does he want to adopt him or just be like a big buddy? <laughs> uh, he goes to see... Well, I hope it's that latter one. <laughs> Well, he says bonding very specifically, not... He doesn't explain what that relationship will entail. Well, 
Don't forget that he says the roost eye. Sorry, the roost eye ritual, probably. Um, he goes to see Jeremy uh, interrupting his home movie session and asks if they can be friends. Troy has a chat with Picard about her sweet therapist job, and the bridge crew detects an energy field on the supposedly dead planet below. So this episode jumps around a lot. Doctor Crusher asks. It does. Doctor Crusher asks Wesley to go talk to the kid, but Wesley's like, "I don't really, I don't really want to do that." Cause is that what I am to you, a kid with a dead dad? <laughs> it's like this isn't really. My... Is that what I am on this ship? What about Worf? He lost both his parents. Because guess what? I'm not totally over it. I don't really want to go do it. And then they get sad together about old dead Jack Crusher. Uh, Marla Astor is, whoops, suddenly alive again and in Jeremy's quarters. Yep. The obviously fake Marla gives Jeremy a hug and tells him they're going to live on the planet below now. Because that's what you do. After you trip a landmine, you you go live on a new planet. Um... Just then, Worf walks in. Fake Marla tries to take the child down to the planet via the transporter, because uh, I guess she can transport herself up there, but she can't transport the kid down. <clears throat> um, but Picard and Worf and Troy retrieve the child, and she disappears. She reappears in the now remodeled Astro Quarters. It looks like their old family home or whatever. Yep. And says, uh, hey, this fantasy of his old life is going to make up for that whoopsie on the planet. Um, they cut off the energy field somehow, and Jeremy is suddenly left back in his normal-ass dark quarters. The quarters are so dark on this ship. They really, really, really are. There's no good lighting. like, how many times a week does someone trip and fall through a glass coffee table <laughs> on Enterprise? <laughs> sure, those things seem flimsy as hell, too. They're not tempered glass. It's pretty clear that they're not. Yeah, I wonder what the fucking purpose behind that is. Uh, the rest of this episode is basically a technobabble fight to keep the energy being out. Um, she keeps coming back. Back in the kids' quarters, the ghost lady says they all feel bad down there about what happened to his mom or whatever, so... Uh, they feel responsible she died in their home, so they're gonna take care of the kid. And they, uh... She, I mean, she says some wild nonsense, too, like... Two species lived on this world. Yeah, yeah. One of ma- one of matter and one of energy. But the matter one, they're all dead. The so. matter ones killed themselves in a war, but for some reason we feel responsible. And it's <laughs> like not explain okay. why this was had nothing to do with us. It's not our landmine anyway. Uh, they need a cheesy sci-fi explanation that you need to uh, feel the pain in order to actually learn how to cope and move on. That's what they tell the ghost lady and. Wesley is uh, called down to let the kid know what he'd gone through and how he'd coped, so the kid will agree to turn his back on his new energy mom, and they all pile on until the kid chooses to have a wharf brother and not an energy mom. And then they do blue light candle stuff together, a wharf and the kid. Yeah. So, what was this one? Living a lie isn't really living. Okay. I guess the idea here is that even if you could bring somebody back from the dead, you shouldn't. And I guess if that's the Federation philosophy, it explains why they don't do time travel all the time. (laughs) Right. But it seems like the specific problem they have here is that it isn't real. Right. And also that hiding from the emotions isn't real either. This is a fine. It's fine. I don't care. It's fine. But it's not earth shattering. I gave this the down the middle five. Sounds like a version of Janeway's personal philosophy that everything has to be right. 
and set right. Yeah, everything has to be the way it was meant to be. It's very deterministic. Mm-hmm. But also, what are they going to do? Send this kid to live in the Truman Show? <laughs> With uh, Captain Patches? Yeah. Um, I mean, he's a whole captain, so that's good. I had also a five. Uh, but I had dealing with death um, is a challenge for all, no matter their uh, age or experience with the subject. Everyone yeah. in this episode, the boy, Worf, Picard, Riker, Data, Wesley, Dr. Crusher, the alien ghost lady, everyone, maybe with the exception of Troy, is really messed up about this shit. And Troy might just be putting on a cool therapy front. So they all, you know, they're obviously all, they all have to, even though they've all been, some of them have been through it, they all have to find a way to cope. Uh, feels like kind of a truism. It was just a five. Uh, Ben's got a five. Human mortality is what makes human beings resilient. Um, in terms of execution, though. Ben's pick of the week. Hi, my name's Ben, and I got a lot of opinions about Star Trek. With my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Um, I couldn't remember. Yeah, what he's he a said. seven. He's a seven here. Uh, he says, so this is the updated Charlie X. But Picard right away knows not to provoke the alien. It, I guess it's just normal prudence, but why should he go down there? And then he convinces her to go home with a speech. Worf has some good speeches. Even Wesley plays his part if it he can't help but be whiny. He's a seven on execution. Wow. Where are you? <clears throat> I said, wow, I'm a six. I don't know. I, I guess seven's not that far. Um, yeah, That's true. It doesn't I'm, seem like a wow. I'm at a six. Um, I think it's in their handling of the take that I said that TNG kind of shines as compared to the other series. So as I said, even people like Picard, Riker, Dr. Crusher struggle in this situation. Um, and they've obviously all been through shit like this a million times. Um... This show has a sensitivity that the other series obviously lack. Yeah. Like, there are lines in this episode that are kind of cheesy, but they come off as seeming pretty genuine sounding. And that they can take advantage of Worf being an orphan, Wesley having a dead dad, Yar's death, other relevant examples, makes you kind of appreciate the level that TNG is on. I feel like in DS9, which is, I think, the second best show, we're always saying stuff like, shouldn't Kira have something to say about this? That's true. Like, where's Kira? What's happening? Where are the people whose backgrounds are relevant to this story? Right. And TOS, Enterprise, and Voyager have created a bunch of cartoon characters, so. Um, like, there's a minute in 1DS9 where Cisco's sad about the death of his wife, but that is that is just... Because he's going to spend the rest of that episode fucking a ghost. Fucking that weird uh, ghost elf. Whatever she yeah. is. I also like that Wesley's thing in the end served to enlighten Energy Mom as much as it did the boy. Yeah. Um, well, they were. she was really who they were trying to convince. They had to get him on board because if he wanted to stay... She'd probably want to stay. She'd probably give up on it, but they were. the explanation was as much for her as it was for him. Unfortunately, this whole thing about a magic ghost coming back to impersonate the kid's mom really feels tacked on like somebody went, yeah, but, I mean, is this sci-fi enough? Shouldn't something crazy happen? Yeah. Can I tell you what the original was? Oh, okay. This kid uh, goes into the holodeck and starts using the holodeck to pretend his mom's still alive. Isn't that better? That's so much better. Isn't that, like, And way someone better? said, make it a ghost, oh. and then that was, like... Yeah. 
I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's a, it's a real mistake. Wouldn't this have been a better episode if they were just dealing with their shit? Maybe yep. the mystery part of the episode could have been about the nature of the booby trap or something. Exactly. I don't know. Whatever you want to do. But uh, the weird ghost mom. That's why this is a six. Because actually, I thought this was a pretty sensitive and well-handled episode. So, yeah. That's what I got. Uh, I don't disagree at all. In fact, I, I went further. I only gave it five. Uh, this is a big character, deep humanity story. Mm-hmm. So all of the energy beams swirling around while Jordy's trying to get the transporters turned off and they're trying <laughs> to get it turned back on. Uh, drop the lower the force field. Okay, now raise the force field Ugh, shit. Yeah. That's all a big waste of time. Yep. None of that is relevant to the story at all. It should just be... Even if you want to keep the ghost, it should just be the alien asking why make a child go through this and then Picard explaining and then Wesley showing how you get past it and then Worf showing that the the kid is going to have support here, right? Yeah. Like, and then the alien leaves. Yep. That's what happens anyway. But there are like six deleted scenes from this episode about the actual ideas of like people coming to terms with grief and stuff. Yeah, let's put those and, in. <laughs> and put those in instead of all the techno babble. Yeah. It's too bad. Having said that, having said that, all the character stuff, like you said, it pretty much plays. Like, it's cheesy when Wesley turns and says, how do you get used to telling someone that their parent's not coming home? And Riker says, you hope you never do. Yeah, yeah, And then you're like, if that was happening in a police procedural, you'd be making jack-off motions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they do somehow sell it. It, like, mostly works. And, that, and like I said, I literally wrote, this is a show that probably only TNG could pull off. Yeah maybe ds9 maybe but i i don't think so yeah so yeah kind of uh kind of uh some of the b plot of this ruins it so i i I could only give it five points but in general i think the stuff they were trying to do mostly works what about world building uh ben says not much and gave it a three because it's another world of energy beings uh i'm also the standard three here so we see another instance of troy getting interference from the emotions of the crew yeah so like it's a little insight into how her shit works uh the internal force fields i know we've seen them before but they're always kind of cute yep um, but there's a lot in this about how children are prepared for the deaths of their parents, and the whole thing is kind of a meditation on whether that preparation really works or whether it's just sort of gotta get through like, it. Like, is it for the children or is it for the adults? Ah, uh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? They don't come right out and say that. Uh, also, the roost eye and Worf's blue room. Yeah. And what uh, is the blue room? Is that his quarters? puts a candle out with a dagger, <laughs> and then he and the kid light two new candles, etc. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, that is doing a little bit of business. It's the standard three. It probably, you know, it's closer to a four than a two, but I don't think it, it pushed over. Yeah. Yeah. I had a three as well. Uh, Koinonian artifacts. Sh- there's a ship's archeologist. So that's just a full-time job, I guess. They just have one. Well, I mean, that's what they not? say. There, she was is, one, yeah. there was one on the other enterprise and this ship's much bigger. Um, it's Picard and Troy's duty to inform those. Uh, who had a dead family member? Uh, Rushton infection that killed this boy's dad. Yep. Uh, the Koinonian Wars. Uh, Klingon bonding ritual. There were two kinds of life on the Koinonian planet. One was the physical beings; they killed themselves. The other were these dumb energy people. 
it was a standard three. Yeah. Uh, characterization. I gave it an eight. Yeah, that's where the points are in this episode. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Troy must have sensed somebody's uh, oh shit moment. Because I don't think she can sense the bomb about to go off. No, I, and I did write in my quick hitters is Troy psychic, but I think you have to assume I think that Marla sensed, Astor yes. saw something or got had a brief panicked moment before the thing exploded, right? Yeah, and she must have been so tuned in on that fucking away team. Damn. Um, yeah. I found Troy very reassuring in the turbo lift with Picard. The way she repeats, he does about Wesley Crusher understanding his dad died in the in the line of duty actually did yeah. seem to comfort Picard. Yeah, this is one of the rare episodes that's kind of in Troy's wheelhouse and then the whole thing gets taken over by Picard because an alien shows <laughs> up right. but like it it does it is nice to see that maybe she is good at her job. Yeah. Yeah, and is not just a mind reader. <clears throat> right. And the parts that we see where she tells them something's gone wrong on the planet one half of one second before they heard it anyway. Yeah. Is just like, yeah, that's not actually why she's on the ship. Right. Yeah. Uh, I noticed Troy didn't add, or a husband, when she asks if the energy lady will give Jeremy a wife when he grows up. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> uh, what is... Well, listen, maybe, uh, you know, Troy's in that kid's brain. Maybe she knows he likes with ladies. Maybe. He likes the ladies. What is less good is that Troy is like, he has to feel his dang feelings. But then she goes, see how Wesley feels? Don't you feel the same way? Yeah, that is true. <laughs> like she, Wesley's like, I was mad at Captain Picard because he came back and my dad didn't. And Troy goes, and therefore you are mad. You must Picard. feel the same way about war. Well, she and Data prepped before she came into the room, so they yeah, had a little. That's session. Right. She did. She did pull Data aside. She's like, Hey, do you have five in the conference room? We can. I want to go a over this real quick. You and I, when we work together, it's like <laughs> magic. So could we just maybe do a quick, just a quick five? Um. Wesley has like a slight panic attack on the bridge when Picard talks about telling Jeremy Astor about his mom's death. And he asks Riker if you're if you get used to telling people or how you get used to telling people their loved ones are dead. He tells his mom sometimes he can't remember what uh, Jack Crusher's face even looked like. But today he remembers everything like it was yesterday about the day Picard came to tell them what happened. He eventually gets to go convince the kid to leave his new energy mom, and he gets to tell Picard that he used to wish Picard had died instead of his stupid dad. Uh, Worf handles Marla Astor's death not so very well. A lot, no, but it's maybe the first time for him, of uh, like leading a, a team and having someone die. Yeah, and it's kind of consistent with his like he's not comfortable relying on people to help him. We learned back when he was not an animal. Yes, and yes. so this is one where. He didn't die, and she did, and that's probably not something Worf is really... That's not in Worf's uh, wheelhouse. Yeah, a lot of blue light, fire, and knives. Klingon stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, he reveals to Troy that he cannot avenge Aster's death because the Koinonians are long dead. Yep. Uh, and that her death was senseless. He believes a leader must stand alone, but then Troy says Picard talks to her, so then he's like, oh, never mind, let's chat. <laughs> Um, also are you seeing anyone <laughs> right. i just had a weird thought all of a sudden <laughs> he wants to bond with the boy klingon style one orphan to another at least he's not animal wharf in this one no um oh shit my screen just went all weird uh where was i go back oh, okay um picard is mad about having children on a starship but like if his mom were here and he was at home someone would still have to tell him about his dead mom and this is sort of a point that Troy makes. And then I said, oh, Troy said that part. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Picard seems like he's moved on from this kid when Troy comes to see him later. She's like, he's being very brave. And he's like, aha, uh-huh, good. Like, he doesn't even look up. Well, but he's th- he, then he straight tells her that it's her job. That's right. Uh, but he does get to speech it up at the end because there's a ghost mom. Uh, Riker seems shaken as well. Did he mess this chick up sexually? Uh, I believe so. So when Data asks him... Did you spend time, or did did you uh, know her well? How well you knew, yeah. how well he knew Marla Astor, he says, I spent some time with her. Yeah. And then he's, there's a beat, and then he says, not really, really. not as well as I should have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way. And it's like, oh, you, you were one and done on this girl. I did not think it was bad acting from Franks. He no. has kind of a wry smile, and they're doing something in that scene where they are super close up on Riker and Data's faces. Oh, yeah. They are very tight on those two. I thought that was actually, despite it being so sci-fi, I wish it hadn't been Data coming to Riker and saying, What is death? That part's not good. Yeah, but, that's true. But the responses Riker gives are good, because he says, um, not we just like we just said, not very well, I guess, after he says he spent some time with her. And then he goes, Why? How well did you know her? And he goes, Why do you ask? And he goes, I don't know. You just asked me. <laughs> like, Bro, what are you talking about? You came to me with this. Yep. Uh... You know, and then they, uh, the whole thing, uh, should it matter how well you know someone if they die or whatever. Anyway, um, I thought, it, the, obviously, the strength of the episode, like I said, I gave it an eight. Uh, you're not going to get much argument out of me. I gave it a seven. Okay. Um, uh, just to be brief, I thought good Picard, Worf, and Troy in this one medium good crusher and Riker and wesley and okay data jordy's literally jordy has nothing to do jordy's just doing the energy stuff he comes back up with the mind yeah he's got the mind and he's trying to stop the energy which is a shame because lavar burton is a good actor (laughs) and he probably could have played it off uh but again they had to do all that shit where he had to keep the transporters offline so whatever um i found the idea when picard says he tells people and then troy leaves troy to clean up the mess yeah i found it a little bit unseemly like i don't like to think of picard that way except it also makes perfect sense because like that's he's not a uh, interpersonal feeling. relations are not his strength and that's the thing he's worried about in episode one right yep and this is probably the first this is the first time we're seeing this is what picard is one of the things picard is worried about in children on starships yeah i don't think he's even worried about the ship could blow up and all those kids could be killed no I think this is the thing that I have to interact with the most uncomfortable for him. Like, I've got to figure out what to do next with this. I'm not just writing a letter to next of kin. Yeah. You know, so uh, I think it was all very much in keeping with his character. Uh, And again, that's that's the strength of this episode. Definitely is the characterization. Um, You know, it's uh, it's otherwise a quiet. It's got a lot of cuts, like there's a lot of movement from place to place in the episode, but it's a very quiet sort of thoughtful episode and i think that is tng's strength you said you weren't sure who else could pull it off maybe ds9 would any of the other shows even have attempted this episode like not even pull it off like would ds9 even have attempted this one no ds9 wouldn't have attempted it because the characters are wrong yeah like part part of the evaluation here is how do we prepare uh, these children for for death is it is it effective is it not but it 
the people on the Starship Enterprise are kind of a monoculture. These are all oh, yeah. people who are all in on the Federation, with Again, the exception of Worf. We talk about it so much that every time they run into someone who's even a little bit different, they all act like it is wild. Yeah. Whereas DS9 is eight different people. All right. N- and none of whom are the same. Like, O'Brien's Federation is not even the same as Cisco's Federation. Right. And Bashir is a, a different guy entirely. He's not really like either of those two. Yeah. So you don't have the starting point for this. You have Jake. So you could, you know, like it, it's maybe you could do something. Yeah. But no, no, no other show is built for this. I was going to say there are a couple of episodes of Enterprise like uh, Old Trip and Reed and that shuttle pod. Or, sure. Like there are some... Some of the moments where Enterprise is the uh, best in characterization are slow, quiet moments oh, like this. they're definitely it's best when they, they run away from the, all the action. They just won't ever right. do it. <laughs> yeah. It's not that they... It's not that they don't occasionally attempt something like that, but they couldn't do this show. Yeah. Um, quick hitters. Uh, ben thinks uh, resurrected Marla Aster is creepy. Uh, I agree. Yeah. I think that was done very well. Yeah. I think she's exactly the right level of creepy so that we know something's wrong, but it's still sort of believable that uh, Jeremy, because he doesn't want his mom to be dead, yeah, is willing to play along. Um, quick hitters. I wrote is Troy psychic. <laughs> uh, you have to get them two. out of there now. Number two, is this Worf's quarters or just the blue zone? That's what I was saying. Does he make his quarters like this? Because later on, his quarters don't look like this. Uh, no. Even when he's late for work because he's doing his religious rituals and he gets a talking to, yeah. it's just like one one area of his quarters is dark with candles. It's not. It's, he doesn't make it blue. I think it's the blue room and we never see it again. Hey, uh, continuity, did Worf get healed and go do that whole ceremony while Picard was on the turbo lift with Troy? Because they call, she calls the school. Yeah. They they go to go talk to Jeremy Astor. Right. Cut to Worf in the blue room, no wounds, in a special robe doing his ceremony. Cut back to the turbo lift. Picard and Troy are on their way to talk to Jeremy Astor, and he stops the turbo lift, and they talk about whether children should be on starships. Yeah, dude, Crusher went whoop, 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 all over him, and he's fine now. Yeah, but he had to take a turbo lift to get to his quarters. His his quarters are closer. <laughs> oh, shit, Matt. I just got a thing. We got a flood watch. Oh, yeah, you guys have been getting the crazy weather. That's exciting. Um, Is Worf going to make this boy a Klingon prince? Oh, that's true. Well, Worf isn't... Does is Worf know he's royalty? I guess he must. Worf knows that he was one of, in one of the great houses, yeah. right? Okay, I think so, yeah. He doesn't talk about... He that's not what he likes to talk about when he talks about being a Klingon. I don't know. It's how he was how he was in the nobility and not just like a fucking potato farmer. I don't know what I said, but what's-her-name woke up over there. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't trust that at all. Uh, and then, uh, Patches was a real loud mouth. <laughs> yep. Like, every time that cat's face is not visible on screen, they put a meow sound in. Just to remind you, she has brought this cat back. Just like that hawk last week. Basically, it's the <laughs> hawk again, yeah. 
I gave best actor to Picard and worst actor to Jeremy Astor with the caveat. He's like 12. What are you going to do? Yeah, he's a kid. That's how it goes. He's not even bad as kid actors go, particularly. He's just, he doesn't sell it quite. No. He has a lot apparently of vacant the, Apparently the director didn't like working with him either. And that's one of the reasons why they they did not revisit this idea that he's part of Worf's family. They talked about it. They just didn't like working with this kid. Wow, that's kind of mean to just put it's out there. It's kind of shitty, right? God, everyone involved in Star Trek sucks. That's a shitty uh, thing to put out there. Yeah, oh, definitely. yeah, we worked with this kid. He could. He was a real fucking pain. Yeah, by the way, even if that's true, that, that this, you didn't think this kid was a great actor and it wasn't that fun to work with him. Why did that ever get out? Yeah, grow up. Like, who cares? At, did nobody at any point think, maybe I shouldn't badmouth a kid on the internet? No, clearly, because we know they're all garbage. Yeah, there's a bunch of garbage individuals make this show. You got some quick hitters for me? I suppose. I know you do. Uh, let's see. Um, no Captain's Log for this episode. Right. Uh, it just starts. Um... Do you suppose Jeremy is alone now because he killed Captain Patches in an imagination accident? Because <laughs> he does a lot of crash landings of that poor cat. That is true. That cat is not a good pilot. No. Uh, these people go to yellow alert when Troy says she senses things. Just yep. to keep in mind. Well, she has a big emotional outbreak, so, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, that kid remembers Klingon hella good. I would need each syllable repeated 50 times <laughs> before I knew what the fuck I was supposed to say. But he just hears it once and repeats it. Yeah, Klingon's got to be harder than Korean. It's, and, it uh, seems harder. And I'm, I've done all those Duolingo modules. I wouldn't attempt to say a Korean phrase. Bro, I tried, I went on to a live stream, a Luna live stream earlier, and I was going to test my Korean and there were 12 of those girls, and they were talking fast and all over each other, and I only heard, like, five random words that I understood. Yeah. And I've been doing this for a while now. So, this kid <laughs> yeah, is amazing on, at Klingon. has gotta be tough. Yeah. Uh, that was it. That's all I had. Well, we fucking burned through it. Good. It's good to have one that we get in and out of fairly quick. And look, it's still two and a half hours of Star Trek. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think here's here's part of the problem. It was not a good week. No, three at least three of his episodes were hot garbage. Yeah, and uh, let's just jump right in. Uh, fifth place this week with a stunning eight points. Ooh, the Omega Glory. Now is that the all timer? Sacred Ground got ten. Let's see. Just looking for anything else that is in the bottom. Uh, 1%. Twisted got 9. I think that was Twisted the worst. Twisted got a 9. This is the all-time... The Omega Glory's the all-timer. This is it, folks. We have a new all-time minimum score. <laughs> worst episode ever. Worst episode of all. Wow. All right. Well, it did get zero uh, from each of us in both premise and execution. So Fourth place this week with a very poor 22 points. Mm-hmm. It's actually 8 points better than they scored last week. Voyager. <laughs> The Q and the Gray. Yeah, but they continue to suck. This was the episode we were the most different on. I had this one six points higher than you. You had it as merely below average. I had it as yes. very bad. That's right. One point higher, Enterprise with the Zindi. 23 points. Also pretty poor showing. Yep, not great. With uh, 32 points in second place, DS9 Civil Defense. 32 is solidly average. Yeah. Um... And uh, the winner this week with a respectable 42 points, 17th win, TNG, The Bonding. Wow. 
They now pull into the lead. Um, boy, poor TOS. Well, they have not doing themselves any favors, are they? TOS is now, in terms of raw points, only 27 points ahead of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, there was a time there after season one or whatever when they were way, way, way ahead. Uh, whereas uh, TNG is now 108 points ahead of TOS. So it, uh, yeah, it's two points per episode now ahead. Yeah, it's, it's two points better per episode on average. And that's with a long string of no wins. Yeah, uh, TNG was stalled out for for quite a while before picking up uh, picking up a win last week and again this week. Yeah. So the uh, win totals are TNG seventeen, TOS sixteen, DS nine thirteen, Enterprise four, Voyager two. Well, it continues. Ne- next time we get together, we'll be discussing week fifty three. I just looked at my average score for this week of twelve point six. <laughs> It's extremely poor. It's so bad. You're, it says this is a bottom 10% week for you and a bottom uh, 25% week for me. Anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, again, that eight. So this is the worst episode so far. Worst episode to date. Uh, we, in week 53, we'll be talking about the ultimate computer. I, Surely this is a classic sci-fi tale of technology gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I, I'm a little bit looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I think... Uh, I think there's a potential for this not to be just horse shit. We have booby trap. I feel like that's what we uh, just and had probably this another week. episode about landmines. Maybe I was gonna say I feel like we just saw this one, but okay, we'll do it again. Yeah. Uh, DS Nine will be Meridian. I know which one it is. It's not. It's not super good. Okay. Voyager Macrocosm. No clue. And the. Uh, Expanse arc will continue in Anomaly. All right. Uh, and of course, next that's two weeks from now. Next week, we will do a mailbag. Uh, that's right. We'll be doing the Mountain Elite Goats. Eight yep. in the Mountain Goats. Yeah, yeah. And uh, send us a lot more mail. We saw some good fruit mail already come in. So keep your fruit right. thoughts coming. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll catch you on the flippity flop. It kind of feels good to get out early. It's like school's out early. It really is. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. I sell junk in my junk shuttle. <laughs> but a I, supernova. I love science. Also, I have a weird military past. Guys, have you seen my feet? My girlfriend's too. <laughs>